Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Really, don't listen. James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK, and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too, so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really 007 Pod. After seven mighty films with Roger, it was time for a new era, the Timothy Dalton era, and this was the living daylights. It begins with excitement and ends at the edge of your seat. This arrived from Gibraltar. It was found near W4's body. Death to spies, Minister. That girl must be very talented. Shoot her. Believe me, my interest in her is purely professional. What is this? And a few optional extras in the store. Two of our men are dead. Koskos named you. I must die. Eliminate him. Kill him! Timothy Dalton is James Bond 007 in The Living Daylights. Right, this is a very interesting combination of, of people we've got here at the View Cinema Bury to watch one of our favourite Bond films, The Living Daylights. Uh, I'm joined by John, as ever. Sam, who has seen every single Bond at the cinema since Dots and O back in, who knew, was that April, something like that? Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember at this point. It was months ago, it feels, but yeah. And, and we've also got, for the first time, Mr Simon Yule. Good 
Well, our oldest, my oldest friend, I'm your oldest friend. Great to have you here, sir. Thank you very much, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. Fortunately, I, I missed you to a kill last week, but um, I'm here for the first of the Dalton Bonds, controversially, big fan. That's, well, this is the thing, I think, no, he's getting a bit of a, a better press, isn't he? I think amongst the diehard, the Fleming Easters. Oh, you see, I liked Dalton's Bond before it was cool. So. <laughs> he did, he did. I'll, I'll vouch for him on that. The, the Bond hipster. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got you, Si, just what's your sort of relationship with Bond growing up and everything? I think it's, like a lot of people, I think it's, it's Christmas reruns, it's... It's just, I think it's the accessibility of what I suppose were fairly like grown-up adult films at the time. But it's the sort of stuff that kids could watch, and I think, yeah, there's you, you don't get many films like that, or it's certainly not many franchises like that anymore that are, have such a wide-ranging appeal. But they're, that's it. They're, they're they're also unforgettable for their you know many many faults and and positives. So you know. I, <laughs> Like anybody, everybody's got a fond memory of a Bond film, um, whether it's one or whether it's all, every single one, it's, you know. Because we, we can't really judge them properly because they're so entrenched in our childhood. Yeah. So when someone who's not re- who's green to them and says, oh, well, that's wrong, that's, that's yeah. silly, you're like, when the Beach Boys is on, on The View to a Kill, it's like, I don't care, you know. I, yeah. I, it's it's part, part you can't it. judge it it's, properly, it's, it's, of, it? it's of the moment, isn't it? It's <laughs> of the time and... Yeah, and it's of you know we're into the bonds that were a, of a fairly ridiculous period in in cinema, really. Yes. To be honest. Yeah. And you know, we'll, I guess we'll see how well this one's aged. Well, this one's a bit of a bit more serious, isn't it? A bit more Fleming, as, as the phrase goes. With Timothy Dalton, who's obviously a bit of a darker bond. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people don't like it. But you know, Casino Royale. Daniel Craig, everybody fell head over heels for that one. So you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe we do need to revisit some. We of do, those. yeah. And who 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 are your favourite Bonds, and what was your favourite Bond growing up, Si? I, for whatever reason, View to a Kill sticks in my mind. Always, <laughs> always has, always will. I had the Smiths Crisps posters yes. when I was about two or three on my wall. You know, I, I, being far too young to watch, but that that's my probably earliest memory. Whereas I think this is probably the first of the ones where there was a, a chance I could have watched it at the time and of the period. Yeah, and we, we've said before that Licence to Kill, because it was a 15, that ruled it out. So GoldenEye was the one we probably remember the most yes. at the cinema. But this, this is actually the first one I saw at the cinema with my brother James. I can remember very little. It was in Rottenstall. But I, I was hooked from being brought up on the other films. But Sam, you're, you're more of a Licence to Kill fan, but that doesn't mean yeah. you, you don't like this one. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think the thing with this film that I like the most is the music, number one, and the stunts, too. I think that I feel like, stunt-wise, this is probably the best of the 80s, I feel. There's some, you know, I think Licence Kill's got is up there as well, but I think there's so much great stuff in this one. And the music, I mean, it's John Barry's last one. He goes out on a real high, one of his best. Some fantastic songs. I mean, The Pretenders, both of the songs in this film are, are amazing. The title songs just so addictive once you start listening to it, um, and yeah, and you know Dalton does a really good job for his first one. There's some mix of Roger in there, which kind of doesn't, I don't think, does Dalton any favors. And um, I think License Code really irons that out a bit. But you know, a third one would have probably been better for him to have. But no, just I am really excited to see it and some great locations. I said it was funny before. Had Spotify on, just live waiting for Tom, and then. Um, 
Ultravox Vienna came on and I was like, there's something going on here because I don't just, you know, a lot of time I don't just choose that. It's usually just like a really random thing that just came on. So fate. clearly, clearly it's fate. The stars are aligned. Yeah. <laughs> John, for us, I mean, Living Daylights is one of our favourites, but the fact that we've spoken to John Glenn, spoken to Necros, Julie T. Wallace, and Mariam Debo, the leading lady, and by the time you'll hear this, Saunders as well. Yeah. So we've uh, a special insider's affinity for this film. We love this film. We yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. love it. I mean, it, for me, it's my third favourite soundtrack. I absolutely love the soundtrack. It's got some of my favourite um, scenes in the whole of Bond in it. The Bond Pushkin bedroom scene for me. Not is, a rude scene, that wasn't it? Not the rude one, though. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what makes you think it's my first time? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's to me probably the best scene in the whole of James Bond in terms of Bond as a spy you know I think it's amazing I think everything from the start to Tangiers is absolute peak Bond in this film there's obviously the thing that me and you have been to quite a few of the locations as well yeah we have yeah, yeah. yeah. and obviously Vienna, yeah, yeah went, went to Vienna on the wheel obviously the start the start <laughs> of it's set in well it says it's set in Bratislava and at the time I was into Alien, I was in Vienna and I'd been to the Prata, I'd been to the, um, oh. the Schoenbrunn Palace, I'd been to a lot of the venues yeah. and I wanted to go to the Conservatoire, is that what yes. it's called yeah, in, the, yeah, yeah. in the film? And it's only an hour on the train to Bratislava. So I got on a train to Bratislava, my wife took for the day, I don't know if you've ever been to Bratislava, but it's not great and um, <laughs> there's not much there it's there's not much place. there and, and we basically went searching around for ages trying <laughs> to find it couldn't find it anywhere then decided I might as well just look up where it is to find out that it's actually in Vienna on the street <laughs> round where my hotel was <laughs> yeah there you go there we go that's my yeah. personal an- anecdote to this film yeah I, I, I love going to Vienna probably probably my favourite European city I've been to with Jennifer yeah. and some of those locations are in it. We've got, I can't remember, Si, the, the opening in Gibraltar. Oh. I mean, that's, you know, with all the bombs. And that's the first time we see Timothy Dalton. And I think that Jeep going off the cliff, that's, it really, that's incredible. Really, yeah, it really sticks in your mind. Uh, guys, I think, I think we're going to have to go now. But we're, I'm so excited for this. I've yeah. not really thought about it too much because I don't want to spoil that preparation of excitement. But this is going to be one of the best, I think, so far. We'll gather our thoughts after we've seen it. Hello, this is Gary Kay, back at the Odeon Cinema in Bath, about to go and watch another James Bond film on the big screen again. Really looking forward to this screening tonight, particularly after last week's screening of A View to a Kill got cancelled at the 11th hour. Haven't seen this film on the big screen since its original release in 1987, when I think I probably saw it about three times. I was uh, that enthusiastic about the film. Really looking forward to seeing that gorgeous Aston Martin Volante on the big screen again, and also Timothy Dalton's debut as Bond and um, his very different approach to the character compared to Roger's much more light-hearted portrayal. Also looking forward to the snow chase sequence with the Aston Martin going across the iced lake, as well as hearing that fantastic John Barry's score through a decent cinema sound system. Anyway, heading on in now to watch The Living Daylights and catch up with you later. Hi, this is Julie T. Wallace. You're about to listen to Really 007 Podcast. It's about me 
in the living daylights, or he will be boshed. It's all so boring here, Margot. There's nothing but playboys and tennis pros. If only I could find a real man. I need to use your phone. She'll call you back. Who are you? Bond, James Bond. Exercise control 007 here. I'll report in an hour. Won't you join me? Better make that too. Hello, really 007 guys. This is Stephen. Uh, just give my quick review of The Living Daylights that I saw at the Prince Charles Cinema. Yeah, I actually really, really liked it. I actually fully established it as my sort of number one Bond movie. I think Timothy Dalton nails it as James Bond. I think people usually see him as like, you know, the sort of like the grumpy, sort of cynical, unfunny, sarcastic Bonds. But I think that's just the one that's relatable to me, really. I mean, he still has a characteristics you know whether it's like leering at ladies or <laughs> giving those sort of like one-liners after chasing baddies but you know i think he nails it yeah he nails it as the character you know i love all the action sequences ranging from the Gibraltar sequences and then you know just sort of sequences at the blaine safe house and just the aston martin chase when uh bond and cara getting chased by the czech police I, I loved all that yeah just i think he just really timothy dolan himself he just has those sort of intense moments as james bond especially when uh he sees that saunders his dad and he bursts a balloon in anger i think i just think that's just some great phenomenal acting you know just it was great and then i love the scene with him confronting john reese davis's character general pushkin in the hotel room i thought he was just pretty scary you know this is a guy that would like you know kill you first and like you know no questions asked later love all the other characters love Kara. i mean i love necros the henchman as well and i love the fight between him and bonds on the hercules plane um yeah, I mean, it was a pretty intense, pretty scary and nail-biting. I just I just loved it. The AHA theme tune, I think I've always liked that since <laughs> since day one, I think. You know, just has that catchy, feel-good vibe to it. And I think even though it's a very sort of like, you know, it's a Scandinavian dark sort of Euro pop song, I think it actually fits the moods of the movie because obviously Don wanted to take the movies back to the books and I think he kind of nailed it here in this movie. I think even more so in License to Kill, but I think the reason why I like The Living Daylights a lot more is because it has that sort of classic Bond feel. Yeah, I just love it. I think other characters are great too. Love Art Malik, you know, as uh, Cameron Shah. You know, I love all the MI6 regulars as well. They're amazing. It's just awesome. I think when I saw it in the cinema, I think it surprisingly got a lot of laughs as well. Like because, I mean, I know it was meant to be kind of like a serious movie because obviously, as I said before, you know, Timothy Dalton and... The producers, they wanted to take the series back to sort of the Ian Fleming novels where it was sort of like, you know, gritty and no nonsense. But, you know, it had some laughs, you know. I mean, it just has that sort of like dry gallows. I think it's just different, you know, when you watch like one of the classic Bond movies with the audience and you kind of get a feel-good vibe out of it. So, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience and I think it's, again, it's just established that as my sort of like favourite Bond movie. I think followed by Goldeneye, Licence to Kill... The Spy Who Loved Me and Skyfall, they'd be my top five. And I think I'll be around next week to hopefully uh, just uh, <laughs> give my thoughts on when I saw License to Kill at the Prince Charles Cinema. So, yeah, okay, peace out. Nice one. Hello there, it's uh, Chris Garfield in Nelson. Just returned back from the view in Bury. An absolute pouring rain, absolutely horrendous weather, having just watched Living Daylights with my good man, Job. Say hello, Job. Hello, Job. Very good. So... What did you make of The Living Daylight? The best movie ever. Fantastic. Favourite part? Hold on, you're dead! Wonderful. What did you make of the soundtrack? As in, 
the Living Daylight song. Love, love it. it. Love it. Uh, now, were it my imagination or were you actually singing that when it was on? Because I could have sworn I could hear you singing. <laughs> May or not have. Yes, you were. Yes. Okay, brilliant. The beginning, the opening sequence, pretty good. What did you make of the characters then, Job? Um, Kara? I like Kara a lot. I think she's really nice. I don't like her. Why not? Silence. Okay, very good. All right then. What about Yogi Koskov? Was he a funny character? Yes. And what about Necros, the hitman? Pretty bad? Yeah, I liked him. He was good. Yeah, I wouldn't like to have my milk delivered by him though, would you? (laughs) No. No. Okay, well, I enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought the sound sounded fantastic. I was hearing things that I didn't normally hear when I've been watching it at home. Like, you could hear the crash of the waves and stuff at the beginning on the the beach at uh, Gibraltar. Not left on the 11th volume. No, not ear-shatteringly like it was last time I came to watch Spy Love Me. I just think this is a great spy film. For me, it would have followed perfectly after watching Octopussy. You're yet to watch that film. All in all, fantastic night. I really like this film. I think it's a great throwback to 60s spy stuff. It's your favourite James Bond film at the moment, isn't it, Job? Yes. We're both Team Tim. Yes. Yeah. And also a highlight of the evening was meeting you guys. Thank you very much for your time. It was great to uh, actually put faces to the voices. Never really sort of watched any of the videos until literally last night. I've been listening to everything on the podcast. So thank you for your time. It was great talking to you. Shame about the weather because uh, we had to shoot off. I hope you uh, managed to uh, have a long and frank conversation about this film with a few beers that you were off to get. Anyway, for me, it's fantastic. And thank you, Job, for coming. I thought it was a good evening. It cost me a fortune since we had to go to Burger King before we went out. Next, License to Kill, my favourite James Bond film. I'm hoping it's going to be as good for Job as uh, I've always thought it were. Rock on. Say goodbye, Job. Bye, Job. See you later. Bye-bye. There's Koskov now. What's he waiting for? Sniper. Two floors up. Center window. Girl with the cello. Firebond fire. Shooter, what are you waiting for? You missed deliberately. Robert Redfern returned to give his thoughts on this classic spy thriller. Hey, how you doing? Like a lot of people, I went to watch The Living Daylights in the cinema this last week, and uh, I went to watch it personally at the Trafford Centre. I usually watch it in Manchester at the Odeon, but I felt like a bit of a treat this Sunday. I couldn't wait till Tuesday to watch it because I've been looking forward to this one a lot. Uh, I first watched this in uh, 1987. I'd say I was about 12 years old then. It was a fantastic day. I watched it in Skipton uh, with Mum, and uh, she bought me the Sally Hibbin James Bond book, I believe, that day as well. So that's such a fantastic day to uh, take in this new film and get a nice treat from Mum my birthday yeah it's such a good film i mean it ticks so many boxes i think it's something that it made me think it's definitely top 10 easily for me and it made me think a bit like with casino that it just ticks so many james bond boxes they often do this with a new james bond they say come on we need to make this a good one and they certainly did with this one there's a lot of love for tim dalton and he's popular with the ladies and obviously some guys out there as well he's such a good looking dude and he's such a fine actor as well 
The PTS is fantastic. I mean, what a good way to usher in a new James Bond. It's so tense. The chase is fantastic down the hill and it leads into that superb song. Being on the subject of the song, I think the soundtrack is uh, one of John Barry's best as well. It weaves a theme into a lot of the stuff as well. I feel like um, this, as much as many of the films, the music is actually like a character in the film as well. It gives the scenes a lot of tension and drama and all that kind of stuff. Much like some of his best other work in some of the other films. I think the plot's good. It suits the time there is a lot of uh, people in this that contribute to the plot I think Necros is a fantastic kind of hitman villain that's in there as well yeah I do like Costco he's kind of quite a quirky actor as well I think Art Malik playing Cameron Shy is so good. I mean, that guy's always good in whatever he's in. And uh, I've got to mention Saunders because there's so much love for Saunders out there. You know, he's a superb actor and that death just still breaks my heart there. Obviously got the uh, unforgettable Julie T. Wallace in there as well. Yeah, there's there's loads of good people in this supporting this. I need to also mention Pushkin. I mean, he's, I just wish he was in another film because I absolutely love that guy. He's fantastic in uh, the Indiana Jones films. It's good to see Jordan Open Baker as well. I'm, I prefer Jordan Baker as an ally in Pierce's stuff, but uh, it's good to see him here because I love him in Edge of Darkness. I think he just makes that show. I got to mention, obviously, the Bond girl as well. I think Kara's absolutely stunning. And uh, I was about 12 years old when I watched this, so she still had quite an impact on me, and she still does even now. She's still a wonderfully beautiful woman. Let's move on to Tim. You know, as I say, you know, I've said a little bit about Tim there, but it's just so good in this. He's such a good actor. He just gets Fleming, he gets the novels, he gets the character of Bond. Like a lot of people, I just wish he had more than two films. I can't wait to watch Licence to Kill next week. I mean, I just narrowly missed that being the age I am. I was one year not old enough to watch that because it was a 15 back in the day, that film. So I just uh, watched that one on video with my pals. We've got to say, I think this is John Glenn's best Bond film. I mean, some of the stuff in the desert, it's like watching David Lean stuff, you know, with the music sweeping as well. Just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, I'm the, you know, I like to contribute to the Bond Twitter community. My name is the Northerner Who Love Me on Twitter. Uh, I'm based in Manchester. It's a good opportunity to contribute to this fantastic podcast, so thanks for listening. Just uh, let's enjoy Licence to Kill next week. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Hi. Trevor Baxendale here, just out from... The Living Daylights, I have had such a fantastic time watching that film again. On the big screen, just amazing. I can't tell you how much I've looked forward to this. In 1987, when I first saw The Living Daylights, I was totally consumed with Bond. Not just the films, but I'd read all the Fleming books, and I was so ready for a new Bond and for Timothy Dalton and it really really delivered and i've got such a soft spot for the living daylights and dalton's bond and what it meant to me at the time the books i was reading yeah it was special to come tonight and and see all that on the big screen again yeah special right we are recording we have just finished the lovely bob foster and chris johnson and myself watching the living daylights so chaps let's dive straight in what do we think at the odeon derby odeon derby (laughs) our residency Yes. For the majority. Yes. Yeah, we still don't know what's going to happen after Brosnan's fall because we can't find anything to book anything yet. Mm. But yes, I thoroughly enjoyed it again. Mm. As with each one, it's, it, it enhances it so much seeing it on the big screen. Mm. Musically, I did notice more individual in- instruments along the way with with the speaker system it it really is a brilliant beginning for dalton it uh, as i was talking to the guys just before it's a fantastic 
free titles to to introduce him to the world as the new Bond, right in the middle of a action. It's brilliant, really, really good. Chris, and I think it's all the better for it as well. The fact that it doesn't rely on lots of like special effects or anything. Yes, it's yeah. very technically a very simple plot mm. for the pre-credits compared to some of them yeah. but yeah all the better for it definitely that fa- that fight in the Land Rover is fantastic yeah. mm. really good so you can't imagine Roger Moore giving anyone a head but like, no oh, no speeding along and... no for, for saying that a, a, a lot of the script was tailored just in case Moore yep. did carry on uh, it was adapted enough and, and it, it, it did show it did lend itself to a younger actor a more mm active actor uh, you really can't imagine Roger Moore doing that in the Land Rover <laughs> well not really I mean, it's interesting you should say that uh, Bob because that was going to be um, the first thing I said it was originally written this film obviously yeah. with dear Roger in mind <laughs> but uh, obviously you know he, he did bow down obviously at the end of the last film but like you say it lends itself beautifully to a new actor yeah and this is the thing it's a l- obviously a lot more light-hearted than License to Kill but Dalton still brings that, you know, that that intense level yeah. to it, as it were. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's a gritty, bloody great spy thriller. Yeah, I think it. I think it added to it also that they didn't make any reference whatsoever to it being a new actor in the role. They just yeah. just carried on yeah. as though it was the same. Yeah, actor. Exactly. And made no reference to it. It's very it's, good. It's interesting, really. Up to this point, we've got four bonds, effectively, mm. and, and two two lots of two, one on each side, contrasting, because obviously there was preamble with Connery, there was certainly a lot of preamble with Lazenby, their introductions, that is, yeah. and then yeah. Moore and Dalton were straight in. Yeah. yeah. And like you say, it works. It's almost seamless. Yeah. So, uh, anything new, chaps? Because there was a few new points from me. Yeah, you, you, oh, you say that I didn't notice anything new. Um, it, it, it just, just all the all the, me, me, the scenes that I really like were enhanced mm. on the big screen. The getting Koskov out, the sniper that, that is right from the the actual Living Daylights book, and the escape in the in the uh, in the in the plane. I thought that was an excellent scene. That where he's trying to get the plane out, and and Kara running after him <laughs> shouting to him as though he could hear him yeah. uh, over the uh, over the noise of everything but yeah i thought it was really good yeah yeah you, you said you noticed that well, i mean there's, there's a, i mean obviously like you say bob it's it's the whole experience which just enhances the visual pleasure apart from a few new sound cues it was, oh. it, was it was the box with the heart in it the organ yes, transplant yes. box and on the side any eagle-eyed viewers will notice that it also says along with thunderball handle like eggs oh. um, which i thought was quite a nice nod whether it was deliberate or not yeah, uh, yeah. who knows but it was a nice little nod yeah oh, i saw a few new bits i didn't realize michael wilson in his cameos nodding his head in time with the music <laughs> quite as much as he was yes house that they get cost in when he defects didn't realize there was all the communist posters you see yeah, that, I think yeah. a lot more detail mm. likewise the pipeline scenes i thought i never had really noticed that set that much mm. Until seeing it on the big screen, and then suddenly it seems a lot more of an actual set, quite yeah, imposing. Yeah. All the little details, like the little signs in the background and everything, again, 
credit to Peter Lamont for going into so much detail and I think it's perhaps now that we're only seeing them in like the 4k restorations mm. that we finally get to fully appreciate the amount of detail that did go into the making of the films yeah, you, you notice the uh, the height of that building when the, um, they're pushing him up the stairs to get to the to get to the uh, the jet mm, yeah. it looked really really high you're seeing it on the big screen yeah, with, the, with the with the spiral staircase around the around the inside of it did sympathize with key reaching for the pills when he <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Absolutely. it's a good point and i tell you as well with these films these 4k restorations it just gives you the opportunity to notice so much more and one of the things that i only realized tonight after having seen this film countless occasions on countless occasions was the fact that there's no secondary Bond girl. Yes, it's only Cara. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. dawned on me during the uh, the viewing. Yes, that's and I, true. And yeah. I realised, I thought, well, you can't really count Felix's girls no. as, as secondary Bond girls, and the same goes for Rosica or the girl mm. at the beginning. They don't they don't quite cut that no. status. No. So it's a unique film in that regard. Yes, there, it aren't, is. there aren't many. I mean, something else I noticed as well, um, you mentioned Felix and the girls there. I noticed that there was a bottle of both Jim Bean and Jack Daniels in the shelf yeah. of Felix's boat. Yeah. That's a nice little reminder, just in case we've forgot he's American. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but all in all, I think this is... We've said this about several, but it's, it's a thoroughly enjoyable film. Yeah. I, I think made better, even better even, by the score. Yeah, the score is I was sublime. just going to mention the um, score. And it just lifts the whole picture for me. It certainly does. Especially the scenes with I was saying to you before, Bob, the Mujahedin, and th those, that, those cues are just yeah. superb. And, they are. Uh, it's a real shame that Barry bowed out of the series after this. I yeah. mean, obviously that probably wasn't his intention, I'm guessing, at the time. No, but no, it just, I was, just, I was, yeah, I was talk, talking to you, Kieran, before, wasn't I? just seems so odd that in his last score, mm. he, he actually appears in the film, and I don't think they were intending him to be. Obviously, had his, he had his operation, he had his um, burst appendix, appendix or something like that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he nearly died, but it was it was just so fortunate that they had him conducting the orchestra in that very in the, in the last few scenes. It's quite ironic, isn't it? It really? is. Very. But then also, this film marks the last appearances of Walter Cattell, yeah, and also Jeffrey Keen, yeah. yeah. So, mm. Yeah, mm. Uh, oh, he's on top form in this one again. You know, <laughs> I must be off yes. with the PM this afternoon. He's you always feel he's about to go. Mm. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> He always um, looks kind of like he's about to have an aneurysm or something. Yes, he does. <laughs> well, he oh, probably is with Bond around, but yeah. Um, so yeah, there's this. The veins rubbing <laughs> in his forehead in glorious 4K. There's quite there's quite a few um, final appearances in this film, and also it's the last I would say the last Bond film before what I call the modern era, which feels like a truly traditional Bond film because obviously with license the mm. production shifted to America, yeah. Yeah. South America, <clears> so. It's almost the end of an era, this one. Yes, it is. But, uh, but it carries over nicely with, with obviously Tim in the role. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure we'll divulge more during our constructive talks afterwards. But mm. it was just, it, obviously, I think it's just a tragedy that he didn't do his third. It yeah. certainly is. Because this film set him up beautifully, yeah. license carried it, and then it just suddenly came to a grinding halt. It did. But, yeah. uh, but all in all, this was a, I think, was a thoroughly one of the enjoyable. best experiences, this one. Yeah. And this film is of epic proportions, not just from the poster, but that also translates to the big screen. It does, definitely. So, I'm going completely back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, the action scenes just seem so much more lively and vibrant on the big screen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everything, once they get to Tangier and 
Afghanistan. I never fully, I don't think before tonight, appreciated how beautiful those scenes when they're going off in the morning and yeah, like the sun yeah, coming yeah, on yeah. and the soundtrack. It, yeah. It's just breathtaking, really. Mm, it is. It just hits you. And this is, I mean, I can remember seeing it the first time on the big chunky VHS videos from mm-hmm. the lo- hired from the local garage at my grandma's <laughs> and just being mesmerised with it loving the Aston Martin which again a beautiful car great yes, to see the gadgets a little tongue in cheek again a bit of a nod to the past with it being basically a modernised version in some aspects of mm. the gadgets from Goldfinger yeah. Yeah. yeah again that was another point I noticed with the car the vehicle again there's no preamble oh pay attention to no, no, all the ga- it's straight into no. it and I think that is actually even better yeah. because you don't know what the car no. of what the car is capable and it's superb and then when you see it in action it's like oh my god it's got that yeah. it's got skis yeah. it's got spikes yeah. it's I actually prefer that and again I didn't mm. even realise that until the big screen yeah. so it just cases our point that Bond was meant for the big screen. Definitely. And um, and this is this is testament <coughs> to that. That's it. And hopefully after this run of all the films at the cinema, we're not going to have to wait another 60 years before they decide to show them in the cinema again. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I, second that. I suppose the one thing we'll be grateful for is not to see any more trailers for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> because of the amount of times we've seen that, we've seen yeah. it as much as these. So. We have. We oh, always dear. go word for word. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, it's been a great night tonight. It has. And, uh, yeah. Roll on Licence to Kill. Yes. The 16th. Or Licence Revoked, as we should be called. Yes, really. Licence Revoked at the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, yes, until next time, chaps. Yeah. Okay. See you later. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Action. This is John Glenn. You're listening to 007 Podcast. Really 007. Really <laughs> 007. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few things I'd like to check out first, sir. That... Sniper, for instance. Yes, I've read Saunders' report. You jeopardise the entire mission to avoid shooting a beautiful girl. Not exactly, sir. I had to make a split-second decision. It was instinct. I'll recall W8 from Hong Kong. He can do it. He doesn't know Pushkin. He follows orders, not instincts. You can take a fortnight's leave. No. Sir. If it has to be done... I'd rather do it. Hi Tom, it's uh, Paul Wallace here from Sunny Romford in Essex. Yeah, I'm really loving these uh, these Bond films that are having a, a run at the cinema at the moment. Um, it's just a shame that they're not showing them every night at my local uh, View Cinema for a week. Uh, they only do the one showing on a Saturday, so uh, it's quite hard with me being a London bus driver to uh, catch, catch them all. I've managed to catch Goldfinger, uh, The Man with the Golden Gun, Spy Who Loved Me, which I absolutely love because that is my favourite Bond film of all time. It's also the uh, the first Bond film I ever saw at the cinema as a kid, uh, six years old, which is why Roger Moore remains my favourite Bond of all time. And uh, managed to catch Living Daylights uh, last Saturday. Yeah, it's one of those I remember going to the cinema. I was 16 when I saw that, 1987 I believe it was. Uh, I love the theme tune. I got a big massive fan of Aha, so that was a, a real thrill for me. Yeah, there was all the buzz with Timothy Dalton being the brand new Bond and I remember going there wondering what he was going to be like and this and the other and it absolutely blew me away as a kid I, I absolutely loved it so to um, that's my eBay going off there by the way <laughs> that Chingley's I just sold something yeah so I, I loved it and seeing it again at the cinema wow do you know what it just it just made me realize how that film hasn't really dated as much as the others Timothy Dalton 
brilliant Bond. Uh, it, even though it had the cheesiness of the Roger Moores uh, that came before it, he brought a more serious edge to the character. You know, he kind of played the, the, the some of the cheesy stuff really doesn't really work that well in there with uh, Timothy Dalton, but he pulls it off. And it's just a real shame that he didn't get to make more Bond movies because I, I, he definitely had half a dozen in him. Uh, really such a shame. But yeah, I absolutely love The Living Daylights. I think it's a great story. I think it's great effects. The, the villain's a little bit dull playing with his little model things there. Joe Don Baker is not really a memorable... Um, he's not exactly a blowfield, is he? But you know what? It's great fun and oh, one of the greatest Bond girls of all time, of course, and uh, a proper, proper storyline for her and a great character. Yeah, love it. I thought it was better than Licence to Kill. I was never a massive fan of Licence to Kill, but after watching it recently, I've grown to love it more. Uh, do you know what? I think I'm going to give it a watch uh, this weekend. Okay, well, that's me, Living Daylights. Love it. Hello, this is Gary Kay. Just seen The Living Daylights for the first time since 1987 and have to say that it's the most I've enjoyed the film since its original cinema run. It was fantastic hearing John Barry providing one more score for a James Bond film and hearing it through a cinema sound system. And on this occasion, he gets to do instrumental versions of not one but three songs from the film um, one by aha two by the pretenders and um, all of them sound fantastic through the cinema sound system such a shame that john barry never got to do any more james bond films after the living daylights possibly because of the unhappiness that he had working with aha on the film there were issues between the two parties apparently, with Aha apparently not being happy to have to collaborate with John Barry on the song. John Barry is said to have enjoyed working with the Pretenders significantly more on their two songs for the film. Where Has Everybody Gone is one of the great James Bond songs and it's used so effectively through the film, particularly in the instances when Necros, the henchman, is on the attack. Talking of which, the attack with Necros uh, disguised as a milkman in the kitchen is absolutely superb. Definitely one of the very best fights in all of the Bond films. Extremely well choreographed. There's some moments in there that um, make you cringe a bit, particularly the moment in which Necros pushes down one of the Blade and Safe House um, staff members face against a hot plate. Also, there's the very well played and very well put together sequence in which Saunders, Bond's um, ally, comes to a very grisly end in the amusement park in Vienna. Necros is definitely up there with Jules and Oddjob is one of the greatest henchmen in the entire James Bond series. Very, very well played character and very well written. I was very impressed with seeing the pre-title sequence on the big screen again. Uh, the skydiving sequence at the beginning, like Moonraker before it, looks absolutely stunning. You only just get the real scale of the whole thing when you see it on a large cinema screen. A fantastic introduction for Timothy Dalton. The, um, the moment, the reveal, when you actually first see Timothy Dalton as Bond's face, um, very nicely uh, shot sequence. And then there's um, the sequences that uh, follow with Bond on top of the Jeep trying to overwhelm the assassin who's inside driving it. Um, very well put together sequence and brilliant stunt work that um, 
happens in that particular sequence and some great close-ups of Timothy Dalton actually on top of the moving vehicle. looks superb. And talking of Timothy Dalton, and um, I thought that uh, he was superb in the film. He really hits the ground running as Bond. The one thing that um, lets him down just a small amount is the fact that um, he doesn't seem to be um, very adept at the witty dialogue. Uh, the, the lines generally tend to fall flat. Um, most of the comedy in the film seems to be as the result of other characters in the film. For example, the excellent uh, character portrayal of Julie T. Wallace. Um, that got a laugh in the cinema, not least of myself. Where Timothy Dalton really does excel, however, are in the dramatic scenes, and there are many of them dotted throughout the film. One of the great uh, moments being Bond's reaction to Saunders' death um, at the amusement park. Very, very... Um, well played by Timothy Dalton. He didn't even need to really say much. It's just the expression on his face captures so much. It's clear when watching the film back again and seeing it on a big cinema screen how much the investment that Timothy Dalton put into preparing for the role, reading Ian Fleming's source novels, really did mean that he was able to bring something new to James Bond. He completely and utterly convinces in every scene that he's in. You really do not need to suspend your belief to believe that he's James Bond. The transfer for The Living Daylights that was shown in the cinema this week looked absolutely excellent. It really did remind me of how it looked back in 1987, although very possibly it might have even looked even better this time round. The colours were uh, very vibrant and um, really did show off the locations extremely well in the film. And um, the sound as well, the, uh, it really enveloped you in the cinema and seeing those images projected onto a large cinema screen just made it so much more of an immersive experience than you can ever have at home watching it on a television. John Glenn did another excellent job of directing the action sequences in this film. One of my favourite sequences is the um, the snow chase with the Aston Martin Volante V8, um, with the um, iced over lake and um, the car with the, uh, the laser cutting device um, that Bond is driving. Very nicely put together sequence with um, John Barry's fantastic score, really adding driving the um, on-screen action along. One of the other great action sequences, very memorable sequences in The Living Daylights is the incredible stunt work with the stuntmen hanging on to the cargo net that's hanging out of the back of the aircraft towards the end of the film. Again, this is just proving that um, real stuntmen doing these incredible, amazing action sequences rather than having some sort of CGI backdrop it just is something else to behold um, watching it on a large cinema screen so much better than um, any CGI visual effects will ever look it's just much more awe-inspiring to see real people doing these death-defying actions on the big screen one of the things I was most pleasantly surprised by when I was 
re-watching The Living Daylights this time was just how good Mariam Dalbo is in the film as the leading character's Cara. Um, very nice performance from her. Very strong um, acting performance. Um, not only does she look the part, but she's very believable throughout. So a real contrast to Stacey Sutton in the previous film. Before re-watching these Bond films on the big screen recently, I must admit that my go-to films whenever I wanted to be cheered up and entertained um, from the James Bond back catalogue were always the Sean Connery films and the Roger Moore films, which I watched time and time again and intended not to watch so much of the um, post-Roger Moore films quite as often. So watching The Living Daylights on the big screen, a film that I haven't watched so much in recent years and which is... Um, lost some favour with me prior to this week's screening because I always thought that the uh, Licence to Kill was the superior film because it suits Timothy Dalton's Bond so well. I have to say, Living Daylights for me now is much more higher up in my um, estimation than it previously was. All in all, a fantastic night's entertainment at the cinema. Very much looking forward to next week and seeing another Timothy Dalton film, Licence to Kill, on the big screen. I uh, did see it at the Prince Charles Cinema earlier this year in London, but it's such a strong film. Very much looking forward to seeing it again more locally next week. Thanks again to the Really 007 crew for pulling out these fantastic podcasts and also the amazing interviews that you've been putting out recently. Hope everybody has a fantastic week and that most of you are getting to see these Bond films on the big screen again or even for the first time in some instances with some of the older films. Have a great week. You're listening to Real 007 and this is Mariam Darbo, Kara Milovi from The Living Daylights. Brilliant. 1987. <laughs> <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Long time again. Still alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Through pandemics and still surviving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> James. James, I will never forget what you did for me. Thank you so What's this? What's <gasps> From Harrods, a godsend. The food here is horrible. The foie gras is excellent. Da, da, da. As Russians say, hearts and stomachs good comrades make. <laughs> What's this, caviar? Well, that's peasant food for us. But with champagne, it's okay. Bollinger R.D., the best. Mm. Uh, the brand on the list was questionable, sir, so I took the liberty of choosing something else. Superb, Mr. Bond, superb. Right, it's Seaspring and Bowspring. We are just back from a surprise visit to the Living Daylights because we weren't expecting you to go, were we, Bo? Yeah. So it was kind of last minute. So what were your thoughts on the Living Daylights? What did you like about it? Yeah, I'm asking what your favourite bits were. Uh, my favourite <laughs> bits were when they like threw the, the um, milk bottles. Yep. And the like the cello case bit on the yeah. snow, you like that, didn't yeah. you? And the aeroplane fight, thing. yeah, at the back. Like, why, why did they have to do it? Why did they have to do what? Fight on the back of the plane, yeah, look, on real life. Well, because Bond stunts should be done properly, they should be done for real. That's why it was so good because two actual people did that physical fight up on a plane. So, what did you think of Timothy Dalton? Because obviously, he was very different than Roger Moore, your favorite. Yeah. It was your first experience with Timothy, so what did you think? Was he a good Bond? Yeah, he was more serious. Yeah? Yeah, he was like, focus. 
was focused. That's yeah. a very good description. What was description. your favourite bits? What was my favourite bits? Yeah. I, I love the pre-titles. I thought that was brilliant. It's one of my favourites. I like <laughs> the sniper scene at the start. Well, thanks for asking me the question. And I also like the plane fight at the end. I think that was fantastic. So yeah. they, it is one of my top five films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything you didn't like about the film? No. That's your fifth favourite. It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it is probably my fifth favourite film. Is it one of your favourites? No. No, I don't think <laughs> Not really. No, but you've done really well to stay awake. I'm very proud. Because yeah. it's quite late. Yeah. Fantastic. Is there anything else you want to add? Shall we talk about the number of people that were there? Yes. There was about, like, 24. And we're in total agreement on this occasion. <laughs> yes. Only because we talked about it before we pressed record. <laughs> yes. Well, it actually counted them this time. There was 24 yeah. people. It was quite a busy yeah. one, wasn't it? Yeah. There was more people than I expected. Yeah, I think there's getting more and more. I think there will be as we get into Pearson and to Craig as well. Yeah. So you're going to have to miss the next film for definite because it's way too violent for you. Yeah. It's probably too violent for Grandma, who's going to come with me, but she'll see it anyway. <laughs> so you're going to come back for the Pierce Brosnans, yeah? Yes. Fantastic. Going to say goodbye? Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, this is Nick, and I've just been to watch The Living Daylights at the View Cinema Kirkstall in Leeds, and I thought I'd offer some rambling thoughts on one of my favourite Bond films. To start off with a few things I wasn't so keen on. First of all, the plot, I think, gets a tad over complicated once they get to Afghanistan with the introduction of the heroine or the opium and the diamonds and the snow leopard brotherhood and I just think it adds an extra layer of details and complications that I don't think it really needed. Then we come to Whittaker, probably a, one of the weaker villains of the series. He just comes across as quite buffoonish at times. I think all it needed was one scene of him snapping out of his cuddly jovial ways and just cold-bloodedly beating someone up or murdering someone and then immediately going back to laughing again and it would have made him more of a psychotic and a bit of a loose cannon which would have made him much more interesting I think and speaking of Whitaker, we come to Bond's sharpshooting skills in the finale he obviously goes to the same shooting range as Roger Moore who manages to hit Jaws squarely in his metal teeth despite having his entire body to aim at uh, Dalton does the same thing and empties an entire gun into a small faceplate which doesn't seem like the sort of thing that Timothy Dalton's Bond would have done. The only other thing that really, I won't say I dislike, but I think Cara's doe-eyed naivety grates on me after a while, um, as I think it does with Bond, if you look at his reaction when she's trying to drive into the back of the plane and he mouths for heaven's sake, shall we say. But then once she gets into the plane, of course, Cara becomes a massive liability and nearly kills Bond three or four times, which makes you wonder if she's not actually secretly working for Koskoff all the time. On then to the things that I like, which is basically the rest of it. It's all brilliant. The supporting cast, I think Koskoff is deliciously slimy all the way through, always entertaining when he's on screen. I thought Pushkin was an interesting replacement for Gogol, and it's a shame we didn't see more of him. I think he would have been a good foil going forward. Uh, Saunders, one of the best allies by far. His treatment by Bond at the start of the film is incredible. He just treats him with so much disdain when it's like, turn off the light, bring me the chair. I, I just think it's brilliantly funny. And then of course his little redemption at the end when he finally comes around to Bond's way of thinking and bends the rules a bit, only to be cut tragically short. Well, cut tragically anyway. Felix, I quite like Felix in this one. It's a shame he didn't get more to do. I think he was hampered by a very 
undemanding and uninteresting role that was written for him. I think if he'd have had more action or more scenes, a lot more people may have warmed to him a little more. The uh, office regulars, I think Em and Bond's relationship is brilliantly testy in this one. Uh, he's much less warm than he is towards Rogers Bond, much sterner and much more like a boss should be. I think the relationship with Bond and Q in this film is hilarious. Bond's like a, an exasperated, yet respectful guy, putting up with his slightly bonkers uncle, almost, the way he sort of gives the side eye to Money Penny when he, Q's waffling on. And speaking of Money Penny, I think she's the only one that lets it down, really. I thought she was a bit wet and a bit soppy for Dalton's Bond. I think he would have benefited more from a slightly more sarky Money Penny and not this sort of fawning teenage girl that we get. Which is a shame, but still, Caroline Bliss is very good. Doesn't hamper the film in any way. The car, I think, is a wonderful update to the DB5 and used amazingly well. Perfect sort of recreation of an old classic. And finally, on to Bond. The man himself. What an injection of energy. After not seeing Bond run for about five films, we suddenly get one hanging off the top of a car, jumping all over the place and actually being in the action instead of a, a blue screen or a stuntman. And what a difference it makes. What a shot in the arm for the franchise Dalton's Bond is when it comes to the action. But then he also handles the humour well as well, I think. He's slightly more dry and uh, deadpan than Roger Moore may have been. But I think he delivers the quips and the, the confused looks incredibly well. And uh, his relationship with Kara is one of the most believable in the series. Instead of women just inexplicably falling into bed with him, you can see an actual relationship developing. And it's much more pleasant to watch than just random hookups. Although when Kara did say to Bond, take me on the wheel, it was crying out for a Roger Moore eyebrow raise, I think. Although to be fair, if it had spent less time taking her on the wheel, Saunders may not be half the man he used to be. All in all, an absolute cracking film with some amazing stunts, brilliant performances all round, and it's one that's hard to fault, really. The soundtrack is incredible. It's one of the first soundtracks I ever bought. I owned this one on cassette when it came out, uh, and I still play it to this day. So one of my top films in the Bond canon. It's always in the top five, and I can't see it going down anytime soon. So... There's my thoughts on The Living Daylights. I may be back next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Hello there. This is Thomas Wheatley, or I should say Saunders, Section B, Vienna. Now, you're listening to Really 007. I'm under the impression you're the best, so do listen. Where's Whitcanal? At his place in Tangier. Well done. Good luck. Uh, Saunders. Thanks.
What's the matter? Bad accident back there. Did you hear? Hear from Yorkie? He's with Whitaker in Tangier. Brad Whitaker, the American? You know him. He's a patron of the arts. Georgi said he'd help me. How soon do we have to go? Immediately. I promised Georgi I'd get you back as soon as I could. Can't we stay here a few days? No. We leave first thing in the morning. I tell her, this is the Russian jailer. You're listening to Darren Bithell's take on the living daylights. Don't know where that came from. Hello, Darren Bithell here again with my take on TLD, short for Top Level Domain, which is the last segment of a domain name, the part that comes after the final dot. The most common example is .com, but there's a whole wide world of different TLDs, such as... Yeah, life's too short, isn't it? So my favourite, although not the best Bond, retired and Timothy Dalton, watched and pursued by Cubby for almost 20 years, finally took up the holster. In a funny way, even before he filmed the windswept glance over his shoulder to introduce him in a kind of Heathcliff manner, he was up against it. Many thought, and probably wanted, Pierce Brosnan to be the next Bond, especially America due to his Remington Steel persona, so there probably was a perception that Dalton was an understudy. Secondly, he didn't have a role that the public could recognise him in, apart from perhaps Flash Gordon, or if some would admit to watching those dodgy 80s US miniseries that ITV used to buy up. So he was, I suppose, a near unknown. If the public had known him beforehand, they probably would have taken the serious, authentic nature of his interpretation of Bond more easily, but going from the well-trodden and trusted formula that Roger brilliantly followed, to go towards the other side of the spectrum with someone you don't know enough to trust, that's a problem. Finally, Dalton is not someone who is very comfortable with the marketing circus you must be involved in to promote a film, and was overall rather po-faced and too serious, while Roger, whose jovial and self-mocking nature was embraced by all. I remember seeing this the first time in the cinema upon release, and with my heart still fully belonging to Roger, I was for someone at that age open-minded at the thought of a new guy playing Bond. My appreciation for Sean did arrive soon after, I hasten to add. I came out of the screening happy, I didn't have the urge to start an advertising campaign in the local evening leader declaring Dalton is not bomb. Unlike its predecessor, The Living Daylights gets better with age. When stood apart from the excessive pantomimes of the Roger films, this film is leaner, fitter, and probably the most authentic Fleming Bond film since Honor Majesties. It's like adapting to Diet Coke from full fat, I suppose. Whenever I read a Bond book, whether it's Fleming, Gardner, for my sins, Horowitz, etc., etc., I don't have any actor in mind playing Bond, but I do agree, amongst most if not all Bond fans, that Timothy is the closest interpretation to the literary character, and I respect him an awful lot in his attempt to achieve this over his two films. However, during his debut, I think at times he tries too hard. I know it's a bit harsh, and he didn't have the third Bond film to fully stamp his mark, but maybe the intensity he feels in the role gets in the way of the performance. Sean and Daniel have that in spades just by looking at them, but not quite with Timothy. Also, there are times I think Timothy's going to break out into Shakespeare's greatest hits if he ever had the opportunity. Despite all this, I was sold by him. 
I would rather have a Bond that goes his own way other than someone who tried to mix the colours on the palette. One of the main reasons why this film is so much better is the action sequences. The fact that a new Bond needed to be introduced and liked by the world gave everyone a kick up the arse, and with Timothy more than willing to participate in all when feasible, it added to the edge. However, the best sequence for me doesn't involve Timothy. The Blade and Safehouse fight between Necros and the Butler is one of the best fights in the series. The pre-titles are one of the very best, Bond with fellow double O's, all looking a little bit like some of Timothy's predecessors, taking part in a military game infiltrated by a rogue assassin, ending up with Bond parachuting from an exploding Land Rover. Perfect recipe. However, the ending with the bikini-clad lady is a hangover to Roger and makes a rather sorry end. It's great to see the Aston Martin back and to fantastic use too. The Afghanistan climax is up there with the Gilbert standards, and I think the battle with Bond and Whitaker at the end doesn't jar the film one bit. However, I always think, why does Bond waste all his bullets trying to penetrate Whitaker's body armour when he should have known the first three didn't do anything? Speaking of Whitaker, the villains of the piece are a curious mix. Negros is a henchman I can imagine having a pint with Eric Kriegler, but the conversation wouldn't be too thrilling. Brad Whitaker in a funny way could be Sheriff Pepper's darker troubled cousin, but it's Georgi Koskov that steals the show, one of the most multi-layered villains in the series, beautifully played by Johan Krabber. His character may not be amongst the hierarchy of villains, probably because he lacks the ultimate showdown with Bond, but it's his character that carries the movie's plot, which is one of the most complex, and may be accused of being clumsily explained during the Snow Leopard Hood deal. It's also the character of Koskov that helps produce one of the best dramatic arcs a Bond woman ever had. Cara Milovi is far apart from all the other female characters, unwittingly out of her depth due to the love of Koskov, completely vulnerable and distrustful of anyone resulting in being lied, and used by Bond in the same level as manipulating Solitaire's cards in Live and Let Die. Her confusion and later realisation of the truth produces a character who can hold her own during the airfield battle. However, there are times in which her being besotted with Bond is a bit much, and the realisation of the mountain coming up after the final showdown with Necros is a bit like Stacey Sutton not realising a Zeppelin is coming up behind her. Despite this, Mariam Darbo is a fine actress, and I wish she was in more films after this, as to label her amongst some of the others is unfair. So when seeing this again in my second home, amongst an attendance slightly more than last week, the laughter levels were lower. What struck me the most about this screening is how beautiful the last three Bond films, including this one, looked, not only for the variety of locations, but for photography throughout, thanks to Alan Hume and Alec Mills, who took the reins for this film and the next. Secondly, I think this is John Richardson's finest hour as visual effects supervisor in the Bond films, with such fantastic models and miniatures during the airfield battle and the frequently forgotten Aston Martin V8 Volante. Finally, B.J. Worth and Jake Lombard produced arguably the best mid-air battle in any Bond film between Bond and Necros. The supporting cast is one of the strongest of the series. Art Malik is great, as is Thomas Wheatley, as the Jobsworth Saunders, with probably the most churning death of all of the Bond allies. The interview the guys had with Julie T. Wallace was a blast to watch, and her performance as Rosika is just as entertaining and sadly too short. I can't stop but think that John Rhys Davis is going to say indie at one time during this film, but the scene he shares with Tim during Bond's non-social call is perhaps the best of the film. I think Desmond Llewellyn shines brighter in the Dalton films because he has to supply more of the humour that Dalton lacks. Dalton's delivery of the one-liners varies, and his use of the double take at times nearly rivals a pigeon. Only joking. 
The rest of the Bond family dot I's and cross T's, and sadly it's the last we see of Geoffrey Keane and Walter Gottel. Caroline Bliss is fine, but she shouldn't have been cast as Moneypenny. As said during the Octopussy review, why couldn't she have been Miss Smallbone or Miss Ponsonby? as the jump from an actress who made the role her own for almost 25 years to someone much younger than the next is quite hard to take in this instance. You could argue it's the same as the jump from Roger to Timothy, but there's only been one money penny at this point. Perhaps more time should have gone by in order for us to accept a new money penny. The sound mix and projection of this screening was excellent. The score we didn't know at the time was John Barry's swan song, but what a way to go. He was in such fine form in his last two films and every piece of music used in this film is just fantastic. The music written for the destruction of the bridge and saving Cameron Shah's brigade was so stirring that for the first time I got really moved. The use of the drum machine in the action sequences does age it slightly, but doesn't really get in the way. The theme song is incorporated superbly in the score, yet the song itself by Aha is a bit limp, especially the chorus. Oh shit, the wife's coming upstairs. <coughs> the theme song by Aha is the best of the whole series. They're one of my wife's favourite bands and totally put McCartney in its place. I think I got away with that. Chrissy Hines should have a big mention too as Where Has Everybody Gone is way overlooked and should share the throne with Katie Lang as the best Bond theme that should have been a Bond theme. If There Was a Man is an unlikely song for Chrissy to write and perform but is performed convincing enough. It's a powerhouse of a soundtrack and at times rivals on Her Majesty's. Barry's appearance in the film is also a nice touch, as though he is in a way saying bye-bye. Everything about this film, apart from the jailer, bless him, who came from Liverpool and not Harrogate as first thought in my Octopussy review, is top-notch. Yet, and I can't put my finger on it, something inside me always feels a bit missing about The Living Daylights. It has a very assured bond, a great overall cast, punchy direction, the script and plot that's arguably deeper than recent entries, special effects that are top notch, and great music. But it doesn't completely get under my skin. I don't feel much emotion as I should do with this film. Perhaps this film feels too much like a box ticking exercise, when other debuts like Live and Let Die and Casino Royale threw the rule book out the window. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. The box office results showed figures back up to the octopusy numbers, but the biggest test was next to come with a Bond film that pushed the envelope so much it threatened the attendance of its own most devoted fans. All the best, guys. Hi, guys. This is Liam. And on Saturday night, I went through to Darlington to see The Living Daylights. And, wow, I was looking forward to this a lot when these movies were announced to be returning to the big screen. And 
this one just blew me away. Absolutely fantastic. Dalton, Necros, Saunders, the last ever John Barry score. Absolutely glorious on the big screen. What a night. Thanks, guys. Hi, this is Andreas Wisniewski, and you're listening to Really 007. They're looking for a foreign car, a man and a woman, and a cello. Looks like they just found us. Patch here, let me pose you a question. What is it exactly that draws you to the Bond films? And how has that affected which actors playing the role are your favourites? In my case, my personal favourite Bonds have long been Roger and Sean. The films of theirs that drew me the most to the series were the ones that were out of this world escapist adventures. This was back in the day when I was introduced to Bond via ITV showings. So before I had read any of the Fleming books. Therefore, I wasn't all that keen on some of the more realistic spy thrillers like From Russia With Love, which I would have only discovered slightly later. What happened? Salt corrosion. They're setting up roadblocks. The more I got into the series, the more I would broaden my horizons, however. Nowadays, I have more respect and admiration for Hardridge Bond and all the depth that he can have, though naturally I maintain a slight preference for the fantastical Bonds. What is this? I've had a few optional extras installed. So why then is a film like The Living Daylights, with a totally different take on Bond compared to Roger Moore's, through the excellent talents of Timothy Dalton, firmly in my top 10 Bond films? Well, let's put it like this, even as a less fantastical Bond film, it has that same sense of adventure feeling that I admired from the latter type of films. Yes, this is one reason why this is my preferred Dalton film. Time to leave. It's closer to the more traditional type of Bond films that I enjoy. And all the harder edge moments, they feel organically integrated into that winning Bondian formula. So that makes them a welcome bonus, rather than something intrusive as it might be in other films that struggle to keep a consistent tone. In a way, Dalton was the odd one out of my favourite Bonds, because for a good while it was more so the film he was in and its story that made me admire his take on the character. If License to Kill had been my first Dalton Bond, would I have felt the same way? Who knows? But anyway, I was absolutely delighted to be able to see this particular film on the big screen. 
Whereas for some, the sudden shift from the Cold War thriller to opium smuggling in the Afghanistan desert might be rather awkward, I've always loved it. It makes one feel like they're being taken on a proper journey with Bond and Kara. And that's magnified enormously on the big screen where Alec Mills' cinematography shines beautifully. Everyone remembers that beautiful sunrise shot when the Mujahideen are heading for their rendezvous with the Snow Leopard Brotherhood. Brace yourself. It just goes to show how the little things like that can improve even the weaker aspects of otherwise excellent Bond films. For while Whittaker and Koskoff are probably not the most remarkable villains in the series, the problems they create for our two leading protagonists more than make up for it. Oh, and Necros too. He's a fantastic henchman, probably my favourite one of the 80s films. Speaking of which, that fight between him and Bond in the Hercules and then outside on the cargo net, it took my breath away on the big screen. What fantastic stunt work. We almost made it. I used to not really care that much about Kara's character back when I was first introduced to this film. Again, the realism of her character just made her less interesting to me when I was more interested in the action and the beautiful locations than any of the character drama that was going on. Now, of course, I look at Marion Darbo's chemistry with Timothy Dalton and the engaging way in which their characters are written and think, yes, this is a relationship between these characters that I can believe in. She isn't the typical Bond woman, and in this case it's quite refreshing. The Pretender's song, If There Was A Man, has even grown on me because of this. Whereas I used to rather dislike it, and I wished at the time that the brilliant AHA song was reprised over the credits like the Duran Duran song for A View To A Kill. But now, of course, I totally approve of the Pretender's track being used there, because it's perfect for the end of the story. Sorry. Now, I always liked Dalton as Bond, because outside of his more down-to-earth portrayal, he still has all the right ingredients from the traditional idea of Bond's character that I was used to from Roger and Sean. The suave charm, and undeniable swagger, and ruthlessness when called for, you know. However, it's only now that I can look at his performance and admire just how much range this man has. I might go as far as to say that he's perhaps the most talented actor to have played James Bond. It's because of him that I also admire Daniel Craig. So currently, they are joint for my third favourite. Both are very much close in their own ways to Fleming's interpretation of Bond, but Dalton is without a doubt the most accurate of the two. No wonder some would picture him when reading the novels. I can't say much else about my experience of seeing The Living Daylights at the cinema, aside from it just being a very enjoyable evening. I know the film well enough to not notice anything new, but I can admire it even more and confirm that this is truly the best way to see it. Though I do want to briefly touch upon this. This film is, in a way, the end of an era. It's the last Bond film to have a score composed by the magnificent John Barry. I remember listening to it countless times after I got into the film, and I've adored it ever since. There's a reason why it's my second favourite Bond score, with You Only Live Twice's score being first. Anyway, it's also what I might consider to be the last of the traditional Bond films, for the most part at least. 
We don't really see a good guy army versus a bad guy army climax again, as the following films scale down the scope of the climax in terms of characters involved. It's also the last of the Cold War themed adventures. We don't even see Minister of Defence Frederick Grey again, who's practically been a mainstay of the MI6 regulars since Spy. Same with Gogol, who even then only makes a cameo towards the end. John Rhys Davis's Pushkin is a good substitute for him in the rest of the film at least. Anyway, all of this feels bittersweet as the Cold War had been Bond's natural environment from the beginning. Not that he can't survive without it. Of course, plenty of films have proved that he can indeed. The biggest last, however, is by far the fact it's the final time that the mission isn't mostly personal for Bond. As License to Kill focuses on Bond's motivation to get revenge for Felix's maiming, Bond has to go against a former friend in 00 in Gold 9, you get the gist. It's something that started even before Daniel Craig's tenure. Either way, I'll always treasure The Living Daylights as the film that helped the most to sell me on a more grounded and mature Bond, without sacrificing the elements that made me a fan of the series. License to Kill is a solid film too, and it certainly has the stronger performance from Dalton, but whenever I think of the film that defines his Bond for me, it's usually this one. A magnificent debut for the Bond who most definitely deserved more than just his two films. General Pushkin, it's a pleasure. I'm Brad Whitaker. Didn't expect to see you in Tangiers. General Koskoff with you? Yet. War. War has always been man's main occupation. You know, fools tell us his greatest accomplishments were the wheel or the alphabet. Ah, I say it's a battering ram and gunpowder. But how do you like my personal pantheon of great commanders? Butchers. Surgeons. They cut away society's dead flesh. <laughs> right, we've just come out of very few cinema, The Living Daylights, and I can't believe it. We've, we've heard a, overheard a discussion about Koskov, things like this, and you think real people love James Bond. So I'm, I'm gathered here with these guys. How was it for you? It's the greatest James Bond film ever made. Oh, yes. The reason I say that is uh, Dalton was offered the role when he was 26. Yeah. And he actually turned it down based on the fact that he said, look, I think I'm too young for this role. This is a man of 35 to 45. He'd obviously studied the books. He's a theatrical actor and he's a method actor. He does it very well. So when he was approached again years later, he only got the job because Brosnan stepped down. Anyway, with regards to the film, it was the final Ian Fleming book that was going to be yes, adapted to right, film. Yes, yeah. And I thought they needed to return to a more hard-edged James Bond. Now, the Roger Moore films had gone a bit too camp at that point. But Dalton stepping in, I thought he played the role amicably. Absolutely superb, spot on. Good script, good characterization. Action was balanced well. And the character was totally different to what we'd seen before. Like the heroine in the story, Marion yeah, Garbo. Yeah. She was a soft-spoken, a bit gullible type. Whereas Koskoff, he sort of like, he, he came across really effectively, in my opinion, as a character. Even though he wasn't domineering or frightening or yeah. overbearing or anything like that, he was an interesting character. Like Pushkin as well, and like uh, Brad Whitaker too. Yeah. It was a fine balance of characterisation. Good story, like I say, good characters, enjoyable film. The location shoots were Oh, everything. yeah, magnificent. And it was John Barry's last film score as well. Yeah. And what a score as well. He appeared at the end. As yeah, the yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ended, yeah, yeah. And that's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, but they actually shot it in Vienna with the third man was shot years ago. Yes, and, uh, and John Glenn was on that as well. Yeah, yeah, I think my only disappointment is the fact that um, where Dalton's concerned, I'm so disappointed he only got to do two films oh, because it's a legal dispute. Imagine 1991 yeah. and 93 Dalton yeah, films. Yeah, yeah, I do believe he would have done a fantastic job. 
but I mean, I imagine him doing a couple more films. Uh, the interesting thing was, is when he stepped down, um, you know, six years had gone by, so that yeah. point he's made a decision he moved on, that, that he couldn't yeah. sign to another two or three. But and they always do it at the right point, don't they? Like, Timothy yeah, Dalton yeah. waited correctly, oh, and yeah. then Pierce was ready when he was ready. Yes, he was, yeah. But like I say, it was, it was premature, wasn't it? But I mean, only to do two films. Oh, yeah. Being yeah. my favourite James Bond, I've studied all the books. From Fleming to Gardner to Raymond Benson yes, to yes, Kingsley yeah. Amis. Yeah. We've had recently uh, Sebastian Fault, yeah. uh, Jeffrey Deaver, William Boyd. Now it's, I've just read the new one last week. Oh, great. Anthony yeah, yeah. Horowitz. Yeah, fantastic. In yeah. a Mind to Kill. Good book. Great story. Yeah. But my underlying problem with the Bond series is that the do all these books to commission them officially but yeah. never adapt into film they yeah I'd love making... to see them wouldn't they? Yeah. well yeah I mean I've read a few that are absolute crackers zero crackers. minus ten I remember from yes uh, I've just read well, one of his I yeah. read over the holidays I've just been coming back from holiday yesterday he did a book called High Time to Kill yes and that's an interesting dynamic where he faces an old colleague of his from Eton who's like oh. a rival and an enemy Roland Marquis and they end up on this mountain trying to find this guy who's had a pacemaker put in his heart in this pacemaker is a micro dot of a Mac 3 skin for aeroplanes and whichever country gets it first will make billions on it and they have to go up this mountain to try and find this micro dot it's a great concept for a yeah it is isn't it yeah. but that's just an idea what I'm talking about but I mean I do like Icebreaker um, yeah. I like Scorpius Win, Lose or Die John Gardner and these, these authors have been just ignored you like you're absolutely right aren't you but yeah, Dalton yeah. brought this up at the time yeah. so I'd like to adapt one of these books you know and they said no flatly refused and they moved away haven't they they're sort of two different universes well it's because at the time it was a Roger Moore run and the yes. problem was is that uh, Gardner met Kobe Brockley yeah. at a race course and said to him basically he asked him what he thought of the films and he said I don't really rate them I think they're a bit too camp and a bit too you know and I think he took offence to that yeah, hence yeah. why Gardner's books have never been done but where Dalton's concerned you can see the effort and the love and the passion that the design that had gone into the living daylight. Oh, yeah. It was a fresher breath of air. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, there's a guy online called Calvin yeah, yeah. something. He, Calvin Dyson. Dyson, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he recently reviewed uh, The Living Daylights. He thinks the poster's the best poster ever done. It's a painted one by yeah. Brian Bysouth, you know. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, the fact that he was a theatre actor who'd done Wuthering Heights, Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah, under you know, it. Yeah. The Lion in Winter, I think it was. Yes, you know, it was, yeah. He was perfect for the role. I can see why I probably wanted him all them years ago. But like I said, my only problem is I think it's a fantastic film. It's the best Bond film ever made. It's so accurate to the books. Yeah. And I think people should go and check this movie out. They should. It is amazing. People have never seen that before. My little boy, he's eight year old still over there. He never moved to the entire film. This is it, isn't it? He's seen it five times. I mean, the stunts at the end, oh, hanging yeah. out of the back of a plane, you can't. Well, you don't they're get, real. You don't get real explosions no. anymore. No, no. You don't get there's too much emphasis on CGI. Yeah. We keep saying that. Well, I mean, you look at it, even the action scenes, everything from that point of view, it was all drenched in realism. It wasn't overspeeded up or yes. CGI. But, I mean, they looked so border on ridiculous. If only ever <laughs> used CGI once, and that was with the Pierce Brosnan dying the other day. And yeah. I, oh, God, I forgot that scene so quickly. Well, everybody hates that, don't they? It so, does. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but I, I'm bitter because this is my favourite James Bond film. That's what I came to now. I'll be in next week for Licence to Oh, kill. that's our favourite as well. Mistake. But so I do good. believe. And me and Graham went there on the opening night at the upgrade to oh, my uncle. Wow. Uncle Joe was dying and uh, he was a big James Bond fan and it was a Timothy Dalton debut and I was sure. determined to get in there yeah. to watch it. And we went to a cinema in Whitefield called the Mayfair and he sat and he was a big Bond aficionado, he knew everything about James yeah. Bond and he sat there and never moved. 
at the end of the film, we're all looking at him with anticipation. What do you think? What do you think of it, Uncle Joe? <laughs> and he said, absolutely bloody brilliant. So yes. he walked out and he died about four or five weeks later. Oh, but right. I'm so happy you got to see the film. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure he would have looked Amazing there, so... memory for the film then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, I'm a passionate fan of the films. I just don't like, at the moment, the, the direction it's gone in. You know, I think. Yeah. I mean, the next James Bond. It should be an unknown. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. The reason I say that, look at Tobey Maguire with Spider-Man. Perfect casting. Yeah. I saw that kid in a film called The Side House Rules three years before he became Spider-Man. Yeah. Reading Spider-Man all these years, I thought, he'd make a great piece of Parker. Oh, did you? Yeah. Sam Raimi. Yeah, yeah. I was he must have been listening, yeah. When he got the role, I was surprised. Christopher Reeve, Superman. Oh, and best Spider- casting the best of anything. The best ever. Superman, yeah. superhero film ever made. Yeah. It, is, today, it is, it is, it is. With the chopper scene and all that. Yeah. But things like that. But with Bond, it's like Daniel Craig and Percy Unknown, he got cast. Yeah, yeah. And he's basically adopted all the steel-edged things that Dalton did anyway. You know, in my you, you opinion, it's like... Converted, honestly. Replicate some of that. Dalton's our, yeah. our favourite, probably. And we no. think he's been a bit overlooked. But yeah. because of Daniel Craig, I think, I think fans of that are returning to him a bit. Yeah, well, the thing was, people are familiarised with the picture of Bond with Roger Moore. Yes. Seven films. So, to suddenly make that radical switch... It is. Yeah. Booked, it was a shock to a lot of people, so people were a bit unsure about what they thought. Yeah. But years later, just getting the love and appreciation it deserves. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well, this has been amazing. What's your name? Uh, Mark. Right, well, we'll, uh, well, I'm sure we'll might see you again then at uh, the Rockets. At uh, some we'll be next week for last. All oh, right, well, so, yeah, I think a few of us will. Yeah, really. get it online, mate. Yeah, we'll be. <laughs> if you're enjoying Really Double Seven Pot, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Look us up at Really Double Seven Pot. It'll scare the living daylights out of you. We've made a slight detour. We normally record these after film thoughts in the foyer, <laughs> cinema foyer, but we were moved on and we, we chatted to some Bond fans and we now are at the only place serving food, McDonald's. They're yeah, paying me for this, yes. <laughs> so we're here, we're sat down and, okay, we're not getting the instant reaction, but are we still in sort of shock after that? What you've seen, John? You... Oh, yeah. Yeah? Riding on Cloud Nine, it was just greatest movie experience of the week. Yeah, that's, uh, that's harsh on view to a kill considering how great that was yeah. but well let's just let's just lay the cards on the table timothy dolan is james bond is there he? Is, he he is james bond i mean if you had been to watch view to a kill in 85 and seen the roger moore era and then all of a sudden this guy comes on who is just completely different never puts a quip out there unless you know never cracks a smile or anything and he's so hard-edged i don't think you'd know how to handle it really but looking back i mean he's just i love roger moore i absolutely adore roger moore you know but watching tonight right, reminds me of why timothy dalton is my favorite that is james bond that is the secret agent those sniper scenes at the beginning oh, oh they're just absurd i mean i could go on about it forever and i usually do i'll let someone else speak about it while i just indulge in in the moment for a minute he's smoldering isn't he he's mm. absolutely 
totally convinced you to spy. So, like especially this view, so incredibly sexy. It's yeah. I've never, I've never truly thought that, but I think, I think because a lot of time I think of Dalton, I think of him in License to Kill, but I don't think he maybe looks his best. He's not dressed mm. as good as he is here, but yeah, he's dressed mm. so well here. Yeah, his hair's just I think immaculate. So just his face, everything about his face, his eyes. Oh yeah, you know, you just. I think he has like probably one of the best looks of all of them. Yeah. And I think every every single actor has had, you know, where they've appeared more than once, they've had a better they've had better looks and not so good looks. All yeah. of them have. Dalton I think probably, you know, one of like the best out of everyone. Mm. Um, and he just carries himself so well in the entire thing. Just his mannerisms, the way he moves, facial expressions, just everything like is just so just a bit more nuanced. He looks like a spy. Yeah, he looks. Yeah, he, he, he's for us. He's very distinctive. However, you know, it's like on the tram, for example, he mm. blends in, and I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's you know, he's not the doctor from Doctor Who. He needs to. He really like as James Bond needs to do. He needs to blend in. He needs to try yeah, that. You know, so it doesn't need to be you know Roger in the tux, whilst everyone else in in the middle of um, India, which I love. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love yeah, yeah, and, you know, Roger, yeah. Roger's still my favorite, no matter what, but. You know, it's, it's you know, for some it's not a massive thing, but it is a, it's a big, it is. It's just things like that that kind of like add to, you know, make a difference. And, you know, with the way that, that they're going with this film, it just, you know, it needs to be a bit more straight laced. But it was, it was popular at the time, you know. I think it made more money than A View to a Kill, so people were, mm. they did embrace yeah. Timothy initially. Mainly because Little Icicle went too dark and he was a 15. Yeah. Not as many people could see it, but Sorry. did it all come back to you, the film? It did. Yeah. It did, and it was interesting because I've I've always found that the Living Daylights and and License to Kill always merged together in my mind a little bit. Having watched it again, start to remember and start to realise just you know how many just iconic moments there are mm. in it. The you know the, the Land Rover jump in Gibraltar, yeah, yeah, yeah. the bit with the Aston Martin. I, I forgot that car was even in this film. Yeah, I completely forgot all about it. And there's so many just brilliant, brilliant. But, but yeah, I think that's it. It's the, the thing that really stood out for me is kind of low key it is. Yeah. Especially when you think of the more era bonds and I mean even even License to Kill with you know vast amounts of cocaine and things like <laughs> yeah. that. It's you know it's it's it feels very much more like a, a sort of late eighties action film. Mm. And this. Yeah, this really wasn't. It was it was really subtle, really nuanced. You know, a re you got a real sort of feel for the the kind of espionage yeah. side of yep. things. You know, there's yeah. a bit yeah. of a obviously I've seen it before. Sort of know the plot, but there's there's that element of, oh, hang on, what's what's yeah. going on here? You know, who's who's the double agent? Who's the defector? And it's you know, it's not hugely complicated, but it's not so straightforward that the whole plot's obvious yeah. from the outset. Even having watched it. No, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and if anything, I, I, I was sort of treating it as a bit of a warm up to, to License to Kill, and I actually enjoyed it way more than mm. I remember doing in the past. But I think the big screen's got a lot to do with yes, that. Yes, I'll be honest. I just don't. I don't think you've ever really seen any film until you've seen it in the cinema. It's we, amazing how much of a difference. Yeah, it yeah. Makes. In, in, in terms of sound engineering as well, yeah. it's not just you know, it's not just the scale and it's, it's everything else that goes around it. It's the cinema experience. They're made on the cameras for the cinema. Yeah. We've only seen them converted to the yeah. small screen, haven't we? You know, they're not. They weren't meant to be. And if we were, I mean, watching main. reruns of, of you know bonds of this era. Yeah. They'd have been all on all sort of, you know, CRT TVs, which weren't even in a widescreen format. No, so yeah. no, that's you true. The first didn't, ones you didn't watch half the, the, the whole shot. No. No. Yeah. For me, the, today, tonight, obviously I've seen it so many times, but the romance element 
mm. really works. You know, it, it is like a Cold War romantic spy thriller, isn't it? As yeah. opposed to an action film. Yeah. You know, a generic action film. There's so much going on. And, like, the holding of hands, quite a lot in it. Mm. It was, it's far more tender than the average... I think yeah. we said that to Marianne, but, you know, it's, it's far more tender than most Bond's relationships. I know Pam... Pam in License to Kill People says Dalton's Bond girl, but two, the two absolutely oh, yeah. top tier Bond women. Yeah. Who wants um, that? No, no, I've, I've found Cara difficult in the past just to kind of what? enjoy. <laughs> I, no, I have. And I think, you know, I think you, you grow up with, you know, certain films and whatnot, and then let's see her who I think on the offset appears to just be just tagged on for the ride. That's what it felt like initially. I mean, I th- and I, you know, and I've still kind of carried that with me, you know, going forward. But I think, you know, and especially with this, I kind of, I feel more for her. I feel bad for her, but yeah, she does, she does age. And I know, I know, like like many others, you know, Bond is using her at least in the beginning for information. Yeah, you know, it's really not until after Vienna when they go to Afghanistan where it's like, okay, everything's kind of out in the open. You know what's going on. And she's betrayed uh, by Koskov, and you know they really begin to understand each other. And she does try, and she really, you know, she wants to be there for him. And it's kind of, for me, it's kind of similar to Stacy in a sense, you know, without the love element there, but just with the fact that, yeah, they're pretty much civilians. They're kind of yeah. brought into this with. They're in the middle of it. Only some knowledge that is going to help one, not a lot. Arguably, without either of them, the mission wouldn't succeed. And I've got to give Kara that at least anyway. But in terms of the romance, I definitely felt it more this time. I've, I find it different. I definitely prefer, you know, Pam and Bond together. Yeah. Because, you know, in my mind, and I, and I did, when I did that Tomorrow Never Dies edit with Dalton in it, and I put Marion Diabo oh, yeah. in the credits, my idea of that was like, you know, like everyone else, you know, Kara would go off, do her tour, meet Carver, you know, yeah. out there. He would visit. Yeah, yeah. And that would be... A, you know, and that's what I think, you know, she would have done anyway, you know. Whereas, you know, kind of like what Rob said about Pam and Bond, I feel like if that was the end, then it's more believable yeah. that they would stay, stay yeah, together. So I think so. But I think, you know, the way it's done, it is, I think it's, you know, quite good of, you know, Glenn to actually do it. You know, based on what he's done before, yeah, he's done bits of love things there, but to go to kind of like such detail about things, you know, the wheel, mm. you know, the, getting, yeah. the, getting the dress, you know, picking up the cello. How is, much of that, I have to say, is... Bond using her, and at what point does he actually quite like her? Because like, does he stop the wheel just to get a, get his leg over, or does he? I, does I he... think for me, it's all with the element of using her for the information until Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying that he doesn't like her. Yeah. But but you, you see that in the Saunders scenes that he talks about. He's he's posing as Costco's friend, and because she's yeah, yeah. the only route to Costco. He makes it very clear, it's the mission first. It's absolutely the mission first. And that's not to discount, that's not to discount the relationship, but the bit where he's honest with her, and then she, in the plane, helps him free. I think that's when it switches. Yeah. I think that's when it switches, yeah. And also, yeah, when they're in the plane, and again, they hold hands, and she sort of lets on to him that, no, no, don't worry, I'm not with Costco anymore. I've been such a fool. Yeah, yeah. We all are. That, to me, is when it switches. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not... It's not a normal relationship, isn't it? There are no, pressures on both of them. Yeah, you know, they've built up that stuff, even though it might yeah. not have been truly. What do you mean? Real. All of my relationships have been exactly. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a happily married man. Uh, yes. Anyway, the, the two baddies. It's an unusual one because we've gone from Zorin, who is like a 
there's just one bad guy, you know who he is from the start. It's dead simple, but he's absolutely brilliant. To sort of a more double-crossing two bad guys, and people often say, oh, there's no real huge villain in it. But I, I personally think they work for their roles that they have, because Whittaker's just meant to be some idiot upstart, isn't he, who's never achieved anything. He's t- just turned to a life of crime. And Koskov is the more... He's the worst one, isn't he? Because he's mm. posing as this really charming guy. Oh, that's an act from him, of course. You know, when he's with yeah. them and all that. Oh, yeah. And the hamper and the Harris hamper and all that. Because he does get quite cold by the end. You know, when he says to Kara, you're going to Siberia, kind of thing, you can go off too. But he's been using her, obviously, the whole time. I think Koskov's a great character. I, yeah. I do. I think he's a great character. I think he's let down by Whitaker. I mean, that's the issue. That personally, I'm not massively anti-Whitaker, mm. and I know people are at pains to defend it, and that's fair because you know I think there's a good character in there. I think it's miscast. I think that's the issue I have because I think Joe Don Baker is an incredibly affable actor. He's a he's not. You look at him as. Jack Wade he's a very mm. likeable character and in this it's like he has to restrain the affable nature but he doesn't really come across as a sleaze bag. he just comes across a bit pathetic I think mm. you know? and, and, and if you've got a really sleazy character who plays it perfectly like Koskov you need an absolute mastermind um, okay, yeah. to go with it and I don't think that happens but what I will say in this viewing is that whilst Dalton says Koskov and Whitaker working together, you pretty much, it's pretty much, there's not really a scene where it's just Koskov and Whitaker. Necros is always yeah, there always as there. well. Yeah. And Necros is is the standout for me. Yeah. He's, he, because he's, he's not just the brawn, he's the brains. He thinks about the things he's a he spy, does as well. He's a spy. Ne- Necros is every bit as important as those two for me. Absolutely. I don't know. He is doing what Costco tells him, but he's not being used. He knows exactly what. Yeah. He's with him, isn't he? Opposed to Whitaker. Yeah. I know it's the whole Russian connection, but. Like one yeah. thing that I find quite interesting, and I'm going to have to be very, very careful saying this on a bomb podcast. <laughs> I'm worried now, so. How unrealistic is it having a supervillain? Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? yeah. And whereas, whereas in this, you've yeah. got a lot of smaller players all as part yeah. of one arguably sort of larger cell if you will and you know in that sense it's mm. quite it's quite believable really or maybe more so than you know some you, you, you Zorins or you, yeah. your Doctor Knows or it is it is it's a totally different way of doing it I know with Octopussy they had Kamal Khan and all of so it's a bit similar to that but they're more larger than life aren't they they're, yeah. they're less realistic yeah. I mean, well, their scheme is realistic, but Kamal Khan's very smooth, isn't he? And Orlov's yeah. a nutter. Whereas Koskov is far more nuanced than Orlov, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he's, but yeah, I, you're absolutely right. That From that, that opening bit in the Bratislava Orchestra, it's so well done. And he is Bond then, isn't he? The way when he puts his thing over his jack, dinner jacket to, yeah. to the, take the shot. The strawberry jam line. Yeah. Just like, he's so angry when he says it, you know, he, I love that line. Yeah. Yeah. And it's his instinct, isn't it, that don't kill her, mm. that's crucial. Yeah. And then he never would have got to Costco. It's it's amazing. And the other thing that I absolutely adore about this film are the allies. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. allies, you know, you've got Saunders, who you actually go on a character, character journey with. You know, there's an arc to him. He starts across as very, very officious. And then by the end, he realises that Bond's right. 
and he shouldn't you know in following his instincts is right and you just turn to the point of thinking ah I like this guy and then he gets killed off yeah it's harrowing really harrowing scene it's bad really well written that off camera as well which I really like really like well that we did we spoke to the actor and he and he said they did originally I don't know whether they filmed it but they had a a body cast made of him split in two and they were going to show that but they agreed probably for the best of it yeah obviously it was too violent for a license to kill wouldn't it yeah Yeah, wouldn't it I would love to see the alternate cut with that yes yeah but I think in terms of effectiveness it's the shot that goes through your mind and you yeah. just see his foot up and the balloon yeah. floating sure. and that and the look of horror on Dalton's yeah. face as well it, it, you know, that's a, different a, we haven't a, seen that before no a double O agent yeah. looking like genuinely sick yeah. and yeah. terrified is you know it's right. It's so good that close up isn't it brilliantly done and I hadn't I hadn't realised until now that when Whittaker's eating lobster and he's with Necros mm. that's and kill him you know before that that's when he says yeah, kill another double O agent yeah. And that's that was Saunders, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah that's the first time I did know. I didn't a lot more that. about the plot yeah. now than I did ever. I you find could, it so difficult usually. It's not a Sunday but, afternoon bomb film, is it? You, know, you need to concentrate. Yes, and you yeah. get it in. I think. Yeah. Compared but, to a view to kill. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because like Whiskers, like has so little little screen time. Like, yeah, less you, than I. You kind of need to pay attention to what he says because usually I do. Ch- I just tune out because I'm like. Oh, <laughs> But I mean, just to follow what you said about that, I think, you know, it's important, that to, I think, to have a good balance. And I think there's something a bit wrong with the villains here as an overall package. And I think, thank God for Netcross, because I mean, not just on a visual level, but <laughs> in terms of what he does, he, he has a presence throughout him. That, that song that goes with him wherever oh, he goes, yeah. into the backing music. I mean, there's, his presence is just is felt like all the way through. Koskov, yeah. I don't love, but at the same time, I think it's a very clever way to kind of like, utilize a character and kind of play into a, what could could be this movie is oh to help say this guy to oh no it's quite early on that we figure out oh he's not great and i just love how sleazy he is and yeah. i and i think a yeah, lot of that's yeah. down to and i don't know how to pronounce his Yeroon. name Yeroon Crab. i think i think yeah he's yeah. <laughs> you know like i've seen him in like in the dynasty uh, oh he's in it, that as well he, he, like, he was in the like i think the final two episodes that were in like the early 90s to wrap it all up but i digress but and but the no, Fugitive, I, which I watched recently. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. oh have you not seen The Fugitive? I won't say no, who no, is no. it. Yeah, don't watch yeah. it. It's right. Great, great film. Yeah. I'll add that to the list. But, but no, but Whitaker, I think, like you said, I think he's, he's, I think he just, he can have a smaller role and have such an impact. And for, and I think a lot of it's just down to the scripts. He's just not given too much. And perhaps another actor could have, could have elevated the, the role a bit more. Not that, like you said, that. I love his war in though. Yeah, I the love whole, that ending. Oh, it's the, brilliant. The whole, I think <clears throat> there's, there's something there. That's there's something I agree with that. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and I think it's frustrating more than anything because they could be a really great character. And I think maybe if he does another interaction with Bond or just someone else, because he's so limited with who he speaks yeah. to, yeah. you don't get as much out of him. You Pushkin sees him when he, he's hiding as one of his statues. Yeah, Pushkin, he Pushkin is, is sensational. Yeah. He is amazing. Very good. He's great at everything, though, isn't he? John Rhys Davies. He's a phenomenal actor, and that's that's why the scene on the with Bond in the bedroom. Yeah. That's why that is my favourite Bond interaction in the whole between Bond and someone else in it, because you've got two top draw actors here, both playing off each other, and it's it's sensational. It does. It raises know? it another level. From it does. What we've had it before does. that kind of interplay. There's loads of great dialogues here. I think the, the Bond and Cara, like when she drugs him, mm. it's so well done, all that. Yes. Because you can see she's worried 
I've drugged him. And, and then you can see how she figures she, it she, out. Yeah. When, Why when, didn't when, you? Yeah. yeah, and yeah. yeah. The acting of, of him when, listen to me. <laughs> it's, he's so good, isn't he? He's amazing. <laughs> Could I, do that now. Imagine, yeah, but see, imagine if Dalton had done the, the octopusy clown scene. That's like, yeah. I mean, like, but, like, but I feel like he... Like, I feel like he really could have yeah. done that. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe Roger was good. Yeah, Roger was great. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. like, Don't Matt, the but... No. <laughs> but no, that, maybe I just want to see it to be not dressed as a clown. I don't know, but uh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of links you're not supposed to see in *Living Daylights*. I think. Yes, there like, are. Yeah. Visual style and what it's doing. You know, yeah. I, think, I, I think a lot of it's because of the, you know, View to a Kill is so like, we're going to go Eiffel Tower now in San Francisco, we're going to go to the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, it's very, it's very like we're going to check off, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Location to location. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. I think, you know, the, you know, the, the, the Octopus and Lundell, it's both, you know, very Cold War, you know. Yeah. Got, both you know, have a big aeroplane fight at the end. Yeah, what do you, what do you think of the stunt side? Again, like, really, for the most part, pretty believable. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that kind of made it just that yeah I. it makes me wish I'd revisited it sooner well you know, they're always there aren't they now we can watch them any time like from the the Gibraltar stuff is a great opening isn't it yeah, yeah. I just love the idea of these exercises that go on between double O agents and everything <laughs> stuff it is it's crisp <laughs> and then the fight with Necros the guy in the, in the kitchen 3-4 yeah how good's that I, that's something that stood out to me actually that it, it, it was almost because yeah, normally, you know, Bond's like a one-man army, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Everybody else is basically utterly useless apart from it. And, you know, show it... So, so, I mean, he, he got a fair amount of screen time in that yeah, fight. Yeah. Held his own. Yeah. Presumably lived at the end of it. I don't know, he got battered with a fight. I reckon? I don't know. So. Well, I mean, I didn't catch it this time. Uh, he's just I mean, about to get up at the end and then he whacks him. Yeah. yeah. But he's knocked out. We don't know yeah, what he's done. Yeah, yeah, again, it's like, you know, normally it's, it's almost pitched as if, you know, Bond is the... Only yeah. guy in the entire British Secret Service who was capable of yeah. yeah. doing anything useful. Because now, um, like in the modern ones, that I don't think they've given so much screen time for a, a really good fight that Bond isn't in. No, no, no it's absolutely like, not. Absolutely here we go. Not. But that's showcasing Necros, yeah. isn't it? It's, well, this guy's an absolute he badass. He wasn't in that entire like chunk of the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember sitting there and thinking, hang on, Timothy Dalton's not. Yeah, he's yeah. not. Yeah, he's but I think it's great. important. Yeah, off in his ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is important to do it because I mean, one, it is showing that cross like that. But two, I think it's important to have this build up of Bond you know, after Saunders, especially knowing that someone is doing this, and then I think probably finding out that it's Nat Cross who's doing it, yeah. having that final conversation on the plane. I think it's good that you know he did that, and that whole section, even even though I'm annoyed that I missed it in this showing. Oh yeah, like. Sam was getting uh, what was it, slush puppy? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll 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 ignore that. I mean, if if, if she's not going to be listening, I, like, maybe she might do. But if, if if Julie's listening, I'm so sorry. I missed your your scene. I'm so sorry. But, um, but, but no, but I just think you know that that brutality is, I think, something that doesn't need to be in every Bond film and doesn't need to be like that all the time but I think it's important to kind of understand the seriousness of things and it's not yeah. just all a, mm. oh, a jolly oh I'm just going to punch some guys wearing obvious wigs and whatnot. like it's, it can be like a real brutal thing and I think this really starts doing that I think the next film is Lysus Kill Goldeneye you know there's a lot of brutal fights like going yeah, after yeah. this and I think Roger's era shied away from doing that and uh, I haven't really been done that much before, no. But, no not in terms yeah. of the fist fights no. really maybe George a little bit with his physical. yeah, George, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah maybe this was the turning point maybe this yeah. was the point Bond went violent I it's because I... Dalton I think wanted to do more of his own stunts mm. 
and he is more. I'm a love Roger again. Yeah. Bad times getting on one of you. Yeah. Dalton looks in the prime of his life. Yeah. He he is that is him hanging on the jeep, you know, and yeah. stuff, some of the shots and a How lot of the action. In, I reckon in is he forty? Probably maybe, something 40? like that. I mean, there's always been, and I've always subscribed to the view that Sam <laughs> said still as well. Time. <laughs> I, I've always thought that, like, Living Daylights does have elements of the Roger era. I didn't notice it all that much no, tonight. No. I've got to say, it felt a lot more like a spy espionage mm. thriller tonight. I have to people say often that. say, "Oh, you can tell that it was originally Roger, and they've moulded it to Dalton." But I don't. I don't. I don't, don't quite maybe get the that. lines, maybe the dialogue, like the soul corrosion. And what what is great yeah. is, is that when you get to License to Kill, they let Dalton do his his thing, being an utter nutter, and yeah. on, on the rampage, and they give Sanchez the best lines, and it <laughs> yeah. works. Yeah. It works yeah. that. Because Sanchez is the charmer in that yeah. film. Yeah. Because Dalton isn't Dalton isn't like the. He's kind, not a sleazebag. He's not a sleazebag. He's <laughs> not charming in a complete <coughs> way. different way. Yeah. Some of, some of the quips fall a little bit flat. Yeah. yeah. The salt corrosion one yeah. always. Yeah. And the, it, gave him the boots. But <laughs> I, I see what I he's could, doing though. Yeah. He's trying to do it differently to Roger. Because yeah. there's no point trying to copy Roger with the lines. No. But they but they they just about get through them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. But for all that. No one else can do the sniper scene. No, no. One no. Else. Connery would be the nearest who could do the Pushkin scene. But it, yeah. but but like it's just the intensity, it's the isn't intensity. it? I've not seen that before. Mm. That's it. But he's literally yeah. getting ready to shoot someone dead. Yeah, and yeah. There's, there's you know there's no there's, that's not tempered in any way. It's quite no. obvious. It's very very focused. Very yeah. Business like cold. Real. It is. It is cold. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that makes the whole, you know, his decision, it, it, it sort of adds that little bit more gravitas to it, the fact that he is about to shoot someone, he's about to shoot a sniper, and then yeah. everything changes. Because you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't, it's very rare that you'd see just bombs execute someone, isn't it? Because mm. you lose that, the love for the character, perhaps, even though we know this is what he's doing all the time. He's, his day job off screen yeah it's always a bit more sort of up close and personal isn't it yeah yeah right well guys it's late I'm tired but we've, <laughs> we've oh, I've absolutely loved this it's yeah, been great it's to watch it with you guys uh, James Bond back on the big screen we go again with Dalton I might not be able to make this one but we did see some of us in London which was an amazing trip hats off to everybody I hope everyone can watch Living Day that's why it's still on this week yeah. you've got to see it on, on the big screen at the cinema just the vastness of it and the score I haven't mentioned the score and the, the song melding them two together the three songs that are in it we will go now and we'll be back for Licence to Kill goodness me awesome premium bond can't wait Shit. can't wait come on Sam we've got sorry we've got ten minutes to get you on that tram son it was too bad Bond you know you could have been a live rich man sort of a poor dead one you're finished Whitaker if the Russians don't get you the Americans will yeah. You know, me, it should have taken another 35,000 casualties. <laughs> Could have ended the rebellion right then and there. Hell, Grant would have done it. God. Now I'll have my 80. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
Sorry to say your pop gun is no match for the latest body armor. you'd take refuge behind that British vulture, Wellington. You know he had to buy German mercenaries to beat Napoleon, don't you? Hey guys, it's Philip of CineCompass. The Living Daylights is the film that got me interested in Bond almost 30 years ago and remains one of my favorites to this day. I got to see it on the big screen last year for the first time and then again just recently and I just love it so much. The pre-title sequence is great, the whole Koskov escape and the developments until he's being kidnapped from Bladen safe house. That is just absolutely brilliant. I think it's one of the most exciting and interesting storylines in Bond ever. I would say it's an almost flawless film. If there's anything to criticize is that we really didn't need Felix and his girls. It's a weird Felix also and the whole thing seems a bit unnecessary but then again it doesn't bother me much. And after so many spectacular action scenes the little shootout with Whittaker seems a bit underwhelming at the end but again it doesn't really bother me. It's John Barry's last Bond score and it's perfect. I think it's very special actually since it has something that had never been done before. The overdubbing with sequenced electronic rhythm tracks which gave it this dynamic and at the time very modern edge. That still sounds great 35 years later and it's a soundtrack I've always loved. I remember hunting it basically on uh, film fairs and when I first found the vinyl I was so happy and then later I found the CD. I paid a fortune for it because at the time it was out of print and it was difficult to find so I paid a large amount of money but I never regretted that. Most importantly of course about The Living Daylights, Timothy Dalton owns it. He is just fantastic. I find him so cool in the pre-titles, in Bratislava when he decides not to shoot, how he handles Koskov's escape, how he interacts with M, Q, Mani, Penny, and really throughout the whole film, I seriously think this is among the best James Bond performances of any actor in any film. And I know we've said this many times before, but it's a pity that he just did two films. I love them both, The Living Daylights and License to Kill. Right now, The Living Daylights is on top for me, but that might change in a few days when I watch License to Kill again on the big screen. So looking forward to that one. Oh, there's something I forgot for anyone who hasn't read Ian Fleming's short story, The Living Daylights, yet. I highly recommend it. It's really great and it's fun to see how much of that actually went into the film. Thanks for having me and uh, keep up the good work. Certainly a few of us went to see The Living Daylights on the Saturday, but after that, a couple of us went back to the Trafford Centre, not me, Chris and Math. I mean, they had to see it. Chris and The Living Daylights go hand in hand. I would be absolutely devastated if you missed this one. Which was the last one you saw, Chris? Uh, Sadly, it was Live and Let Die. So I missed out well, on a big chunk of John Glenn. And yeah, yeah, yeah and well, yeah, Roger, like Moonraker and stuff, I was a bit gutted about not seeing the, all those models and everything on the big screen, but one thing or another. But anyway, but yeah, I got there in the end with uh, Living Daylights. It was well worth it.
absolutely worth it. What an amazing yeah. film. Haven't you seen it at the cinema when you were It was the first one. Uh, yeah, two early memories of going to the cinema. It was, it was Ghostbusters and Living Daylights. So it's always been kind of really special to me and is just the epitome of a modern Bond film. You know, we all love and appreciate Connery's work and Roger Moore's work and, you know, all those films. And obviously on Her Majesty's it's got, finally got some recognition it deserves. But for me, The Living Daylights has always been at the top because it is, it still feels incredibly fresh. You know, I know people argue over the some of the, the politics, but for me, that's what makes, that's the risk of when you do that's modern cool. storytelling is that, the, and also it's quite nice to see, you do, well, it's, a, it's a reminder how quickly politics can change, you know, where you've got the good guys, no longer the good guys, I think it's fair to say in, um, in the public's eyes. So yeah, so for me, it's the epitome of all, it is the greatness of James Bond. Dalton is absolutely cast, his casting is perfect. You know, Connery is you know, will always be arguably the best Bond, but uh, Dalton certainly gives him a, a run for the money. And seeing him on the big screen, I was surprised at how much uh, he seems to be enjoying it. <laughs> you know, he's quite smiley and has a laugh, and th there's a lot of humour in there, which is another sort of criticism of, of his films. But watching it on the big screen with the audience members who were engaged, everyone laughed at the jokes, and it was, you know, it was, it was a really nice experience. I'd say that it's a brilliant kind of, you know... Of its time, Cold War story about two, I suppose, like <laughs> infantile, arrogant sociopaths, you know, who want, who aren't really in it for kind of world domination. They're in it to make some money. It seems to fit in the kind of the die-hard kind of world of protagonists, where you, you're told this is what they're actually doing, but really, it's not. That's not what mm -hmm. what they're doing. You know, there's there's all sorts of you know subplots and things. And, and I won't go into too much detail now because I'm going to save it for our 30-hour review. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to our discussion about, you know, Yorgi and, and, and Whitaker, I, I I honestly don't understand why people have a problem with them because for that film they are the perfect, you know, antagonists to to to, to uh to Dalton's uh, bond. I think they the, it, without them the film would be either would be not nearly as engaging because the acting is really they're, they're both really good in it, or it would just be seem cartoonish. You know, if you put, uh, you know, to a certain extent, like Math was saying, you put another one of those other sort of, put a Roger Moore villain in this film, it'd be ridiculous. You know, they are grounded at just the right level for me. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and again, like with Kara being a brilliant Bond girl, you know, I don't understand the criticism uh, aimed at her because she's a cellist. And you know what, if I was driving a Jeep through uh, Afghanistan being shot at by Necros, I don't think I'd be able to cope quite as well as she does. Uh, and obviously, the John Barry score, where as soon as you know some of that, those music cues, as soon as it came, well, I had goosebumps. It is, it is a brilliant film. Yeah, it is the, for me the, the, the best modern Bond film. Unbelievable, Chris. I, I certainly picked up on something you said, and someone on Twitter said this week that if you look at Saunders and Koskov, that works so well because at the start, Koskov's the amiable mm -hmm. one who the audience Saunders is this stuffy jobs with, yeah. isn't he? In Vienna, sorry, well, Bratislava then. And of course, that's done deliberately to trick you and trick Bond. But of course, Bond's slightly onto it already, isn't he? And he's he's one step above even the audience. By the time Saunders dies, we're really on board with him, and we we feel awful when he dies because there is that respect, and he has backed and risked <laughs> his pension, or whatever. Of course, Koskov, you can see gradually, we're like, well, no, there's something not. Maybe he's not 
the main baddie, but maybe he's a bit dodgy and then oh hey. He completely by the end is not likable at all in my mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah, and and, and uh, he's you know, and also you see it through you see that through Kara's eyes as being the, the plot is revealed to her in the same way that she's oh well you know, Yogi's this you know you know this the, 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 someone she completely trusts and does something that she feels is you know she puts her life at risk for him and then it was oh you know Brad Wilson yeah. he's, he's a patron of the arts you know it's her. Her idea of who these characters are completely, you know, destroyed because of Bond revealing, you know, the, the true motives. And so for her to go from this sort of naive cellist to, you know, ride it horseback riding with machine guns, and I, I think she's she's it's almost like you could say that actually the film plays out almost like through her eyes rather than kind of Bond's because you know, let's say that, that she, she's let's say her, the perception of the characters that who she thinks she knows changes considerably during yeah. the during the course of you know the film. Just before we get to math, I know that are those your top three though, just Chris. Now, Honor, Majesty's Living Daylights, and Doctor No, not necessarily. Well, in I, I, as, uh, again, all these lists are kind of like, what's your favourite Bond film, and what is the best Bond film? And I think that for for, for, yeah. for me, Doctor No is always kind of sit between those, and I could argue that uh, Living Daylights is, is is certainly that. I think it's. I, I don't know how you can be a Bond fan and not see that within the, the top five. I, I, I just think it is it, it ticks all the boxes and, and, and does more. It's the, probably the one that I watch the most because I feel like it, 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 it for me it just it just it walks the line of fun, entertaining Bond, but with an engaging and interesting plot with characters. And not all Bond films have that, and that's why that makes the series great. Is that if you want something a bit silly, you want something a bit kind of light, you've got you know plenty of Roger Moore films. You've got you know even Die Another Day. I think that for me, yeah, uh, Living Daylights will certainly be in top three if not top one <laughs> but yeah Math, is it not without its problems oh dearie me uh, yeah you know like what what Chris is said I don't understand why people can't see that this is almost uh, it's just perfection it's just such a good action adventure spy film that fe- that you know globe trotting in loads of different locations with a new, you know, fresh Bond who's completely different to the previous one, but still there are so many of the essential elements that make a Bond film in there. It's incredibly entertaining. It rattles along at a brilliant pace. You're very, you know, there's there's quite a lot of talking and plot, but you're, you're hardly ever only a few minutes away from another incredible action set piece. It feels like a real world of spies and people who inhabit this world like you know your Whitakers and your Koskovs and Saunders and and you know Necros is I think he is I think he is the best henchman in the series uh, yeah I think I think I've decided that now because he's just so so effective you're seeing him you see him do so much I mean obviously there's there's Grant you know I don't want to um diminish him too much sometimes it feels a bit I don't know whether he is quite a henchman in in some ways so I don't know just Necros and the threat that we get from him from very early on, which remains throughout the film, but you, you're never under any illusions that he's doing anything other than sort of what he's told. I know he he kind of refuses to. Um, is it he he when it's suggested that he kill another agent? I uh, know oh that he kill Pushkin. 
he kind of pushes back a little bit. But yeah, sorry, I'm 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 waffling because it's just I, I just love it so much. And when I was watching it last night, I was just I was just like, I can't I can't believe this is so good. And to me, it feel it doesn't feel dated. I know there's the stuff about the Mujahideen and everything like that. Yeah, you can now pinpoint that as being outdated in terms of the politics and everything like that. But to me, it's just the enemy of the enemy is my friend. And at that time, that was kind of that suited that that bit of the plot. But how it looks, how it feels, the action doesn't feel dated to me at all. How 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 many years old is it now? Thirty five. What an absolute joke that it's so old. I watched um, I watched <laughs> the Grey Man or the Greyman, as I quite like to call it, um, the other night. Um, the, the new Russo brothers one, and that will date far quicker than uh, than this will. And the action's nowhere near as good. The plot is nowhere near as interesting. The characters are nowhere near as interesting. It's not as funny. As the living daylights, um, <laughs> it's. I just uh, this. This is film. This is film. This is almost perfect filmmaking for me. I just. I love it so flipping much. And you know, in some ways, I'm sad. I the this and License to Kill are almost you know ten out of ten films for me. And I do wish we'd had. I wished so dearly that we'd had more Tim, especially you know ninety one and ninety three. And perhaps I think I said this to you, Chris, last night. Perhaps it would have been better if License to Kill had been Sayd had four, the fourth of his four, and then you had two other films like a bit like I mean, not exactly like this. This this same tone, you know, yeah, you know, maybe even Barry, you know, John Glenn. I mean, just the the essential elements are all there. Think about the dating, you know, the the Mujahideen. Say it right, Brian. Get it right, Brian. I mean. Can you imagine? Oh, it's a shame that they portrayed the, uh, the Germans or Germany as baddies and stuff in war films because they turned out to be all right in the end. <laughs> you know, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. You know, at that time, that's yeah. what's happening. Even then, Cameron Shah, why, why can't you have one good egg who's in a, in a bad situation? You know, because obviously yeah. he has the British links, doesn't he? So it's not, it's not as simple as, oh, they're baddies now. We should have known that. Yeah. I, I just reject that entirely. Yeah, and there's the whole kind of the you know the opium kind of subplot that comes in that yeah. he's actually you know he's working with people that he uh, he thinks mm. are sort of baddies. But again, yeah. like Matt said, is that they're the enemy of the common enemy. So it's like I don't yes. care if it's the bullets or you know the opiates that kill them. Well, yeah. and I just think that, that he is breaking the law. And another thing is is that when when, when people talk about kind of for, for for me, you know, I've always liked. I always thought that you know that Wilson and Maybaum were. were, were brilliant kind of writing team but for me this one really stands out because it's such a solid thriller it ties up so nicely you know there's there's, there's genuine you know laughs and like jess said last night is that, that, that you know there's the the reoccurring you know joke about the cello where you know there's no way you're going to take it then he's like, yeah. he takes it. Then it's like, oh, I'm a good job that I insisted yeah. to bring the chair. You know, there's, there's yes. like three or four comments. And it just goes to show that, you know, that Dalton had a self-deprecating humour as well, where he knew he was in, you know, he refused for her to bring it. He came in and had it and then makes a joke about him being, he was in the wrong, you know. It, mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the writing. And that and for them to be able to switch from, you know, the, the sort of the Roger Moore kind of humour were, you know, uh, I suppose it's a little bit broader to a much more kind of drier wit. Uh, to match Dalton, I think he's, I think he's, he's great. I, I, I don't have any complaints about, you know, the writing uh, for this film because I think it's, it's, I just think it's pitched perfectly. This is, this is a grounded, modern 
Bond film. And, you know, there are elements that kind of like sort of push it with, you know, exploding teddy bears, but they're like throwaway little moments and you can sort of see them as, as remnants of, you know, the previous kind of Bond or what would have been, a, you know, a different Bond. But again, it's just, you know, the fact that, that you know, Glenn was actually able to... to <sighs> show some restraint when it came to those slightly sillier things that he is, he was known to do and obviously you see that with the the, the the carpet ride that they caught which probably would have the, the naked man yeah that a little bit yeah. you know there's no double taking horses or anything in this you know he completely you know he kind of gets it and and when you when you think back about you know like you hear about like with john glenn and you know and could be talk about you know the the, the the lumps you know in the stories that, that again don't the living daylights is a perfect example of this where you've got this absolutely amazing set piece that starts off with so you've you already you're already starting with the plot you've already introduced a, a new bond that is probably the with the exception of you know the casino scene in dr no is probably the best mm-hmm. introduction of, of james bond ever because you know that is bond through the visual medium of telling, you know, of filmmaking with the music, with the score, with the camera and everything. I think that, that you know, and you've got action that goes from tension, you know, like that. This, they're, they're a small scale fight. They're much more tense than these anything that other, I suppose, other franchises have to offer. And that's the thing is that there's, there's a lack of understanding when, when it comes to action nowadays, where everything has to be as big as it possibly can, as opposed to the threat that comes from two men scrapping in a kitchen far out stretches anything in a marvel film where it's like full of you know loads of stuff you know everything's going on you've no idea what's happening but there's lots of explosions lots of people being thrown around to go from that to you know a rooftop chase you know again it's thrilling it's exciting that lasts probably like two minutes if that but it's again it's that kind of like just shot in the arm that, that for an action adventure film needs but it's still driving the plot you know you, you like I say you just go from and then you, you sort of build to this amazing you know one of the greatest set pieces in i think in action cinema never mind in a bond film it's like you know i might i love to have been there when decided you're gonna have two blokes hanging out the back of a fight and having a fight but like this is amazing and it, again it's just pulled out it's just perfect it, it really for me this one really shows you know glenn is on absolutely tough of his game when it comes to you know obviously you see all, all all his experience as an editor but as a as a, as a director as well is an, an astonishingly well shot film with beautiful cinematography from you know the desert scenes to one of what I think is one of the most iconic shots of the Bond film is just after the, the, the Prater. You know, he turns to camera and it's quite a close shot on Dalton's face and he sort of scowls for a second and says, yeah, I... I oh, he yeah. turns and it just racks the focus. That is just brilliant and it, cause, because it's... it's, it's Filmmaking, as in, this, that's a brilliant shot because you, you, you want... You're in the... You know, this is... You're sort of getting into Bond's mm-hmm. mindset and it's a visual way of doing that as opposed to let's just light it prettily and then you know move the camera around with a steady cam kind of thing i just I, honestly I, I, for me i can't fault it and i don't understand why if you're a fan of the the, the bond series that you you can't see this as being easily mm. top tier i think there's it, it's just it ticks all the boxes and it is just a, a, a great film regardless of it being you know part of an amazing a franchise. word for um, the supporting cast as well and the characters such terrific characters mm. We are so blessed to have chatted to a lot of them, which is just incredible. And you know, I can't, yeah. can't believe that we've been able to do that. 
General Gogol, Miss Caramelo. Magnificent. I hope you can find time to play in Moscow very soon. It's quite all right. General Gogol is now with their foreign service. He's arranged an immigration visa. So you can come and go as you like. <laughs> Wonderful. Excuse me. You're all right. I'm sorry we missed the concert. We had some trouble at the airport. I can't imagine why. Uh, General Gogol, I don't believe you've met Kamran Shah. My pleasure. Where's James? Unhappily, he's on assignment abroad. I'll be with you shortly. this performance, did you? Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.